Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to a very Christmassy edition of Down the Pub. Uh, pub hasn't been open forever. Uh, it's open tonight and it's full of losers, um, including myself. Uh, where should we start? Let me go around the room. Right, don't give me a life story because there's loads of you. I always will be here all night, and uh, some of us have got places to go as well. Find out and no doubt mock people for later. Clive, hello. Hello, darling. How are you? Where's all your mood lighting? Your porno mood lighting? Uh, it's been so long since we've been down the pub. I can't find the remote control for it. <laughs> Butler's back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, ha- I'll have a butcher's in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> we have Kit coming at us from Cornwall. Hello, Kit. Hello, how's it going? All right, you're buggering off on a date, aren't you? I, I am buggering off on a date afterwards, so I will leave a little bit earlier earlier on. Excellent, congratulations. Uh, Chris won't be going on a date because it's Chris. <laughs> Chris, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, boss. And yeah, that, that's very accurate. No, no, it's no dates in 2022. I've posted you the most awesome Christmas present that will solve all of those problems. It should be with you in time for the big day. Um that's going to give you sleepless nights, isn't it? Holmes is here. You're right, Holmes. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Am I the only judge tonight? I meant to ask you before we started, but uh, yeah, yeah, you okay. are. Unless Johnny decides to chip in when he finally turns up. Don't uh, know. It depends on whether he's got his presents, I suppose. But this is true. Uh, yeah, this, this is the thing, isn't it? We do have Secret Santa again for you because it proved to be such epic radio last year. Us opening. <laughs> Santa presents, uh, but Royal Mail are assholes, so basically none of them have arrived, even though they've been in the post, uh, a lot of them, for like two weeks now, uh, and then people like Every are playing, they, they changed their name from Hermes, but they're still wankers, they haven't delivered stuff <laughs> either, uh, either that or they're trying to extort money out of Dorman, aren't they, Dorman? Yeah, your custom charges still suck. Uh, how is Dublin, anyway? Cold. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, not as cold as Warsaw, I'm taking it, Alina. Jesus Christ, it was minus seven today. Everybody can jog the fuck on. Right, it was minus five when I took my car for its MOT this morning, so you're not that odd. With uh, snow, with snow, and the danger of slipping and dying and breaking your head open. You did drive into a snowdrift the other day, didn't you? Oh, that was friggin' hilarious. Uh, that was me texting you going, I'm not going to die, and you going, please don't drive off the edge of a cliff. And then what did you do? Not drive off the edge of a cliff. But into a snowdrift. Uh, we've got Charlie as well. Hello, Charlie. Hello, how are you doing? How are you? Uh, tell everyone oh, what right. you've been up to. Oh, mate, it's just been a mad year. Um, but this week I missed my husband who'd been on tour with The Cure. So I woke up, bought myself a ticket and went to Wembley in a black dress and had a lovely time. Excellent. And relived your golf days. I've, I've relapsed fully i danced so hard that two separate people came up to me after the show and said that they enjoyed watching me dance i think i might be a meme excellent uh we look forward to seeing that on the internet i can't possibly do any damage to your future career prospects uh locky hello got a lovely christmas jumper on how is south east london is very snowy um still we we in theory we are past fit to play rugby 
around here at the weekend, which is exciting. It's going to be freezing. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's Christmas dinner in the house tonight, so I'm so full of food, it's unbelievable. Massive lump of beef and all the veg and everything. Not envying that at all. Did you have to cook it as well? Uh, I cooked the cooked the Wellingtons. It was a team effort, um, actually, on, on actually all of it. Yeah, so it was quite hassle-free, really. Big, big team effort in the kitchen. Excellent. Nice. Beth is here, looking radiant. How are you? Sounding disgusting, but looking radiant. Uh, sounding disgusting. I'm, I'm finally on the back of that awful chest infection, so I am hopefully back to my normal self, which is better because there was antibiotics involved and there was also the not really drinking, which didn't really happen when you're on antibiotics, but already had half a bottle of wine, got another one of these, so I'm I'm ready for this tonight. Excellent. What I'm Brilliant. saying here is she may look great, but you wouldn't touch her with a 10-foot bowl, pod, pod pole right now because <laughs> she's diseased and rank and quite snotty. No, I'm past, I'm past all of that. Unless that's your thing. Um, who else have we got? Oh, right, so we've got two Kates in the house today. We've got Kate in Gibraltar. Hello. Hey, how is it? Or Gibraltar slash Spain or whatever side of the border you're on right now? On the Spanish side at the moment. Yeah, it's good. It's all right. It's pissing down with rain. Never seen rain like it. But um, it's not snowing, so that's a bonus. Um, I haven't got a date tonight either, so that's normal. Um, so I'll be here all night. And I don't have a pitch either, so it's a bit rubbish. No worries. Never stopped anyone else turning up before. Um, and also as well, I don't think it would be surprising to any of our listeners, most of the pe- people in this room aren't on dates and are completely unlovable. Uh, speaking of, Kate Jameson. <laughs> I did actually have a date tonight. And I, cancelled I know, you cancelled your date for us. <laughs> Why? It's not going to be a very good one. many reasons. <laughs> oh, can, yeah. can I say why? I can edit it out afterwards if you don't yeah, want to. <laughs> he just fucking, like, sends one text a day and expects to, like, then go on a date with someone. like An accountant. Yeah. Mm. And mm. also, as well, like, he doesn't drink tea or coffee. So we had this epic voice note discussion the other night about how you can't take a man seriously who goes into a Starbucks or a Costa and orders a hot chocolate. Like... <laughs> That's a needless attack. You might as well be cutting <laughs> with eggs. Like, really? Are you five? Yes. Um, I <laughs> anyway, we can edit that out if you really do seriously want to go on a date with that guy at some point. <laughs> fuck it, we'll leave it in. Uh, how is Yeovil? <laughs> Yeovil is cold. We don't have any snow, so it's just disappointing. Um, because you are the kind of sad bastard that stands there with your nose pressed up against the window waiting for the first flake of snow, aren't you? Yeah, I can see Alina shaking her head at me right now. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh>, love snow. <laughs> oh, right, that, as you can hear, is James, uh, who's, well, Birmingham's bleak every day of the year, but what's it like today? Uh, well, it was chaotic. All my trains were cancelled, so I was working from home again. So I was nice and warm. So you weren't at all impacted by it, so stop moaning, is what I'm saying. Uh, Alina, we're done, hang on. <laughs> Heather, Heather is in Ohio, which probably has more disgusting weather than we have over here. Yeah, it's it's cold and rainy, so I don't even get the joy of snow. That sucks. And finally, I think it's finally, because frankly I've lost track already, Sam in Winchester, hello. Hello, darlings, hello. I so, do not have snow and I'm very happy because I fucking hate snow. Excellent, yeah, right now as well. Um, 
I'm just telling everyone now I'm leaving her till the end because she's only eaten kale for dinner and she's now battering the wine and the drunk that she gets funny for the rest of us. Yeah, uh, drunk jolly. Yeah. Uh, right, okay. Let's go to, I'm going to do Kit first because he has to go and make himself look beautiful, which of course will only take a couple of minutes before he goes on his date. Uh, Kit, did your secret Santa arrive? My secret Santa has arrived. Open it, open yes. it, open it. While I tell everyone oh. we're debating today. Uh, we are debating, yeah. right? Um, basically, you all get to big up yourselves. You've got to find the best you in history. So you can use your first name or your second name. So, for instance, uh, Clive has got to find a Clive or an O'Connell somewhere in history uh, and make a pitch for them. Uh, I won't be entering because I worked really hard and couldn't find any famous Churchills or any famous Alexandras, so I gave up. <laughs> uh, Kit, what have you got for Christmas? I've got a parcel that's bloody hard to unwrap. <laughs> Seriously, I've got like, someone sent me like a, a Mills bomb, basically. <laughs> that's this exactly is what it is. You can get in trouble for that, can't you? Yeah. Right, here we go. I've got, I've got some purchase. <laughs> that's what she said. No. <laughs> We'll be saying that again later, etc. Et I've I've got two presents. I've got a two presents. So I've got a long thin one. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll the present I'll be giving um, someone later. <laughs> I really hope they're not listening to this. That's gone. <laughs> Already broken, bet. Fantastic. I it's have got. Hard. The latest cutting-edge technology in personal grooming. <laughs> yes. Is it Zeke for men? I have got a long silver stick with a little claw at the end. <laughs> you should take that with you tonight. I think she'll find it perfectly normal. <laughs> this is the weird... It's very small. Well. What's it yeah, no, it unscrews. So that I can extend it. That's what she said. So is I'm it a back ex- scratch or a crack scratcher? I was going to say, is it to scratch I your can balls? Extend it. <laughs> Someone has got me a copy. You really shouldn't have. Uh, Fern Riddle's Sex. <laughs> oh, so she stalked you in Twitter and now she can tell you how to have sex just in time for a date. <laughs> yeah, um, for those who don't know, um, Fern Riddle and I do not get on whatsoever. Um, and she has, um, I think she called me Science Bro? Science Bro, Science Bro, yeah. Science Bro, because there's no such thing as a science historian. Um, but yes, thank you very much for that. Um, I, I know exactly where to put it. <laughs> <laughs> on the table when your date turns up. Exactly. displaying. <laughs> tiny ball scratcher right okay. I, I like my tiny ball scratcher um yeah i mean it it's that tiny tiny hand is just the right size to hold dorman's cup <laughs> so i think we need to team up and i will get a little little i will gently lift up D- dorman's yeah. Still not, I think Dorman's exact words were if anyone sends me another mini Guinness mug, I'm throwing it back across the Irish Sea. It might nice make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, Kit, you have had to go looking for a famous Christopher or a famous Kit or a famous Chapman. I have. And and there are I mean, the famous Chapmans, they're all bastards. There's no getting around it. 
and the Christophers are not much better. Um, so I decided to go for a kit. And I narrowed it down to two famous kits. Uh, there was Kit Carson, who was a famous frontiersman and, uh, and expanded the West, um, took part in, in fights for, for California. Uh, but it also turned out he might have sort of massacred the Navajo. So I decided maybe let's not go with him. And I have gone with the playwright slash spy slash everyman, Kit Marlowe, who might well be Shakespeare or the inspiration for Shakespeare. Or at the very um, least is smarter than Shakespeare. Or at the very least was smarter than Shakespeare, although Beth is now shaking her head vigorously. Um, so Kit Marlowe was a polymath in the Tudor era. And I know that we don't like the Tudors particularly because they're so overdone, but Kit Marlowe is genuinely one of those fascinating figures um, that actually made the Elizabethan era a golden age. Um, he was probably an atheist. Uh, we know that he was heavily educated, very smart guy. He was at Corpus Christi uh, College in Cambridge. And he disappeared for great lengths during his studies, almost certainly because he was abroad spying. This is a guy who was incredibly bright, incredibly gregarious. He was able to hold court in a pub, uh, which we'll come on to later because it doesn't serve him too well. Um, and, um, and just was a absolutely brilliant diplomat for the Tudor uh, era and, and the Elizabethan uh, court. But we know him best as a playwright. And several of his plays still exist to this day. Perhaps my favourite is Dr. Faustus, uh, which is a brilliant scientist who makes a deal with the devil so that he can learn more and, of course, uh, get his comeuppance later on. You might know it as Faust. And we have uh, Dido, Queen of Carthage, as well. The reason that I wanted to pick him was, although he had incredible talents by the age he was 20, and he died age 29, and he was killed in a pub brawl, probably, we think, in Deptford, uh, where he got stabbed through the eye, um, which is not a particularly nice thing to happen to in a pub, but also probably not the worst thing that's ever happened in Deptford. And Marlowe's influence expands well beyond his own writings and his own plays, because we can see the similarities with his great friend, supposedly, William Shakespeare. We know that he was the first and foremost playwright of his day. We know that that's because Ben Jonson wrote about him. And if you look at a lot of Shakespeare's work, Shakespeare was a fantastic magpie, um, a bit like Ed Sheeran was alleged to be um, earlier in court this year. And he's able to pick out different phrases and different uh, ways of expression that we see um, mimicking Marlowe's writing a little bit earlier on. So Shakespeare was standing on the shoulders of giants. And one of those giants was Kit Marlowe, a fantastic playwright, a fascinating human being, and I would argue the greatest Kit in history. Wonderful. Uh, well done. Holmes, have you got any uh, questions on that one? Yeah, I've, I've only a couple, really. I, I've sort of heard of him, but I've, I don't really know why. Um, so he wasn't Shakespeare. That's been debunked, that is. Uh, OK. Some I'm, people I'm have argued, but... I, I would personally agree. I, I, don't, I do not believe that Kim Arlo was Shakespeare. Um, I believe the Shakespeare authorship question is one of those things that uh, wanky lovies get, in, get sort of embroiled in. And the reality is Shakespeare was a guy who was born in Stratford and just produced fantastic plays. So no, Kit Marlowe wasn't Shakespeare, but he almost certainly influenced Shakespeare and he was a personal friend of Shakespeare. Do you think, do you think his plays were better than Shakespeare? 
I think that his plays were not better than Shakespeare's, but I think his turn of phrase, his choice of language, was as exciting as Shakespeare's. And Shakespeare certainly felt the same way because he copied a lot of what Kit Marlowe did. Um, we know that that's not really in dispute. Um, I think that Kit Marlowe, had he continued to live, had he not died age 29, might well have remained the great playwright of the Tudor era. And then you mentioned you mentioned that he, he might have been a spy, but wasn't didn't he just go on holiday and make shit up when he got back? I mean, that There's would always be... Someone, I know someone at school would have said something like that. Well, Kit Marlowe is one of those characters that it's really kind of hard to pin down exactly what he did at any point in his life because he was doing all kinds of weird, shady shit. I mean, this guy had a life. He was going abroad. And in the Tudor era, unless you were a seaman or something like that, that was highly unusual. People didn't go on package holidays to Belgium. And yet we know that he was hanging around Flanders. So he was clearly doing something. And this was while he was supposedly studying at, uh, at Cambridge. I have a friend, uh, an archaeologist, who actually was given the room at Corpus Christi that Kit Marlowe uh, had for lodgings. So he was staying in his flat, if you like, in Corpus Christi College in Cambridge. And he said, up on the wall, you can see where, where Marlowe had his holidays, where he suddenly vanished from the term and suddenly reappeared. So they, there is genuine, a, a very strong argument that he was acting as a spy. Nothing further from me. Excellent. Uh, we have another new addition in the room. We have History Hack Jesus. Oh, oh, peace be with you. Are you excited for your birthday, Josh? Oh, yeah, always, always. Everybody How long is the ponytail now? How long? <clears throat> I haven't measured it since the last time, but it's pretty long. Excellent. It's so long it blurs itself out. Yeah. <laughs> your body, your Zoom can't even comprehend that it's all part of your head. Is it, is it is it time to give it its own Twitter account yet, or are we waiting to see what happens with Twitter? Yeah, let's wait and see if it's worth it. <laughs> like 12 followers, i.e. everybody in this room, and then Elon Musk implodes it. I'm just watching Kit with that tiny thing and knowing where that hand's going next is quite disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, let's do Lockie, because Lockie has to get back to his Christmas dinner. Lockie, yeah. your secret Santa arrived? It did. I've got two... Um, I'm Oh, here. Um, so, yeah, bit of a battle, but hang on, first one. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, we are in that season. I've got an American football uh, here. <laughs> now, yes, some inflation. Was there was there anything in that box other than that? Uh, kind of packing paper. Oh, hang on, what's this? Amazon. Enjoy your new rugby ball from Secret Santa. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. You can go yeah, to last well. year's one. Yeah, uh, that's, I've, yeah, I've still got that. It does get chucked around occasionally. Um, and part two, bubble wrap. I mean, bubble wrap itself. It seems to be some glassware. Glassware. Oh, release the Kraken. I've got a, a, a little small measure of Kraken rum up there and then one of these kind of handled mason jar things uh, to drink my Kraken out of which should go quite well with the litre of Kraken that I picked up from the Duty Free the other day as well so um, very nice indeed, thank you very much Secret Santa Lockie was very good at that, I thought I'd doze off a little bit I thought I was watching a shopping channel for a minute briefly, <laughs> such yeah, was his well, professionalism uh, Right now, famous Andrews and Locks, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, okay, so 
there's mostly a lot of old shite out there. As far as I can tell, everyone in history called Andrew is a total bastard. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. St. Andrew is the first disciple of um, Josh. So uh, I guess he's all right, is he? I don't know. Uh, yeah, great, great, but... great guy, great guy. Okay, super duper. Um, I want maybe my years of Bible study will let me down. I'm not going to bother him. Andrew Jackson. I'm pretty sure we've been on uh, been on a down the pub explaining why he's a total cunt, haven't we? Is he one of the worst presidents? I think we we did. Yeah, um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Right. I'm pretty sure we've dug him out on here before as well. He's really um, mean. He's really mean. Yeah. Um. Uh, you got people like Andy Murray, uh, who. I'm a decent tennis player, I suppose, but um, uh, no. Andy Warhol? No, I'm not too bothered about him. Um, so there's not too many Andrews. I, I think most Andrews tend to suck, really. I haven't mentioned Prince Andrew yet. Maybe I ought to, unless, unless Dorman wants to mention him later, perhaps. Um, I'll leave that one to you, uh, <laughs> mate. Um, as far as locks go... Well, there's potentially some some more to work with here. Um, I've got James Locke, as in Locke and Co. Hatters, on St James's Street. They're the oldest hat shop in the world. Anyone overwhelmed and inspired by the oldest hat shop in the world? I, I, they're quite nice, I guess. Um, there's a decent cricketer called Tony Locke. Uh, I think Dawn Locke was probably my favourite of the locks out there uh, as a comedian. Apart from. The one I've gone for, which is a little bit outside the box, possibly. Um, oh, I should tell you about Lockie as well, the computer virus. There's a nasty malware virus thing out there called Lockie. Um, watch out for it. It'll rob you. Uh, no, the one that I've gone for is actually Camden Lock. Um, so it's not a person as such, um, but you know me. Uh, never, never do too uh, obvious things. Uh, Camden Lock is really interesting. Um, actually, and when you think about kind of when it was put together um, shortly after the Napoleonic Wars um, to link up um, the, the, the sort of major railways and canal hubs in North London um, with the Docklands uh, down in, in East and Southeast uh, London, um, this lock, I'm not going to say it's the heart of uh, the British Empire, but it might be one of the valves in the heart of the British Empire, because what you have is this transfer of goods from um, the sort of heart of the industrial north and Midlands um, through across to the docks at London. And at a time when London was growing absolutely out of control uh, in the 19th century and um, trade, international trade with uh, British dominance at sea, well, Royal Navy was the world power at the time. Um, this little hub um, actually allowed the transfer of goods very, very quickly. It was essentially in the First World War uh, for the same reason uh, as well, shifting uh, goods made in the Midlands and North uh, across and, and out to the front as well. Uh, and so, yeah, this little, I don't know, tiny bit of North London actually was crucial. And it's far more interesting than any of the people called either Andrew or Locke, to my mind. It's a little bit of a shame that Camden's so full of bastards uh, now, although we did have a good moment there earlier this year. Um, we were there for um, Alex's birthday, uh, were we not, which was quite fun, which actually has a, an interesting story to it as well, because that was the day the Queen died. Um, and we were in this bar 
uh, called the Coyote Ugly Bar, wasn't it? Uh, Coyote Ugly themed bar, and we had the weirdest moment when um, they got on the, the the microphone and said, oh, "We'd like to announce that the Queen has died," but they didn't quite know how to do it, um, or didn't know how to react to it. So they responded by continuing their normal program. So they all got up on the bar top and started dancing again. Three songs later, they played Queen. Another one bites the dust. And didn't yeah, I know. That's what was going on. So, <laughs> having not seen having having not seen the film, but being there at the time, I thought that announcement happened in the film. Are you telling me it didn't? I'll go with Camden Lock because it's interesting. I, I don't, Sean Lock is the funniest of them uh, for sure, but uh, but but Camden Lock Camden Lock's got some got some good history. Like I mean, you've got engineers like William Congreve and architects like William Nash that are part of putting things together there. Um, yeah, Camden Lock hit that with a stick. That shut you up, isn't it? I I was just thinking that you missed an opportunity to win all of Scotland on your side by going with the patron saint to begin with. Really, you know, there's not, there's not many Scots in the room, and there's not very many judging this competition either, Josh. You mean, do you mean Loch Ness? Well, I, I just, well, no, I thought the Saint spelling Nessie. would matter. <laughs> I thought the spelling would matter. So, just uh, uh, Alex, are we allowed to go for things rather than people? Just a yeah. bit. Clarification on the rule. That's the first yeah. thing. I mean, it's interesting that they had to they had to build it during the uh, Napoleonic Wars because before the Napoleonic Wars, how did people get to the GMTV studio? Uh, it was actually it was actually shortly afterwards. It was eighteen eighteen to eighteen twenty. They were putting the, the lock together. Um, it was it was approved. The construction of the canal was approved in eighteen twelve, I think. Um, and yeah, that was going to link uh, Paddington to Limehouse. Um, so yeah, just a, a, a sort of valve in that um, transition across from North London across to the east. And, and do all the sort of northern canals, presumably Trent and Mersey, I don't really know that many canals. Do they all flow into that? Not Scooby. I think I know. I think it's more that the big goods depot was nearby, wasn't there? So you, you didn't just have the canals coming into the north. You also had the, the sort of rail depot um, coming in there. So. Uh, yeah, it was. You had the big kind of goods hub um, right next to the lock and the railway uh, there. And then, I mean, what makes that better than other locks? So, for example, the Carnhill flight on the Kennet and Avon Canal has got twenty nine locks. Uh, it's it's the position and the goods that went through it, rather than the number of locks or I don't know any other flouncing details about it. I'm not a lock expert. <laughs> <laughs> And what are you doing here, frankly? Yeah, I don't. If you're gonna if you're gonna bugger off and finish the rest of your Christmas dinner, you know, you don't necessarily have to think about coming back to find out the results. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, that's cold, man. Johnny, I just did the most amazing pitch ever. <laughs> Johnny, uh, just I'm sure it was brilliant. He doesn't look convinced, does he? Right. Okay. So so far we've had. Kit Marlowe and Camden Lock. <laughs> okay. And now those two are going off to live their lives and the rest of us losers will spend the rest of the evening hanging out together because it's what we do. Uh, you don't have to leave right now, um, but at some point they will drop out. Uh, Johnny, how you doing? I'm all good, mate. Yeah, not bad. Work was a bit of an arse, but we are here now. Hello, everyone. Good evening. You going to judge with Holmes? Uh, you've, only uh, missed, you've only missed two and frankly, I'll be fucking amazed if they win. So... <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge Holmes live from Collywood. 
the bar has been set high then. Excellent. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's see what our judges got for Christmas, if their secret Santas have arrived yet. Johnny, has yours arrived? It has. Where it is, is another matter. Uh, well, you go figure that out, Holmes. Is yeah, I'll, 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 I'll find something. I'll find it, rather. It, mine has. It turned up today, which is quite good timing, and I opened it, and it says, Andrew, best judge ever home. So that's not obviously from Clive. <laughs> Unless I open it and it's got like a butt plug and a cock ring because we know the presence he sends out in this. So I'm not I'm not as smooth as Lockie at doing this. I can't do a running commentary and I'm, I'm just thinking, please don't be shit because I'm not really that good at controlling my expressions when I open presents. Oh, no. <laughs> it's okay, you're safe. It's a podcast. <laughs> Unless we release the video. It's, it's a fake camera of some sort. I don't, I don't know what it's supposed to do. Ah, that's good. I think it's a camera that I can put booze in and pretend it's a camera. Okay. <laughs> so that's a winner. I don't have to worry about my expression. I'm genuinely happy to get that. <laughs> because now you can smuggle alcohol into uh, <laughs> an event. Excellent. I mean, I only really take cameras to cemeteries anyway. So, but, you know, we have argue. <laughs> and it comes with a tiny funnel as well, which is always, always helpful. Excellent. Johnny, did you find yours? I did. It feels sort of... Ominous, let's put it that way. Uh huh. Oh, I say it's a selection of Chelsea themed beer mats. Good work. Good work. I thought it was going to be something embarrassing to wear, but no, excellent. <laughs> Whatever that was. And very, very handily, there is a beer here which I, I should deploy onto the Angolo Cante beer mat. Thank you very much. You'll probably find that beer mat snaps in about three minutes and you won't be able to use it again till about November. There you go. <laughs> oh, which is, yeah, it's about half our squad at the moment, isn't it? Point. Is there a Hakim Ziyech one that will just disappear and strop off and be completely anonymous? It only works in Qatar, otherwise it refuses to do anything. Right, OK, let's go. Right. Who shall we go to? Let's go to Heather. <laughs> Heather's had a miserable time trying to find someone to do a pitch on. And I want to know what she's ended up doing. Yeah, as I was looking, I was like, okay, so Janelle. Yeah, there's pretty much nothing. And then Heather, actress, 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 actress. Good chunk of them are blonde. And I'm sitting here going, hmm. That's not looking good. And then I was like, well, I'll try my last name. Wow, that's boring. Okay, so, okay, maybe none of that. Um, Back to Heather again. Well, yeah, I guess this is better than nothing. So I'm doing Heather Thatcher. I figured we might as well go a little bit older than current. Um, She was an actress. Big surprise. She was especially known for her interpretation of the Egyptian harem dance, though. So. Right along the lines with all the others. Her attire at one time for the Egyptian harem dance was billed as the boldest costume ever shown in Britain. She was born in September of 1896 in London. Um, she did a lot of roles in, in British theatre as well as American theatre. Um, she played the lead in Oh Daddy, which I have lots of questions about, and Warm Corner, which were both in, performed in London. She was in Thy Name is Woman, which appeared at the Q Theater in 1926. And then she had a play called The Lucky Break at the Strand Theater in 1934. 
she acted in America in 1937 with uh, Playful House, which I also have questions on. And then she did a few other plays, as well as a salute to Ivor Novello in 1951, which was in the London Coliseum. Um, she did some silent films, and then she also did some of the talkies. Um, her one role play thing was a silent film made in 1929, and it was later developed into a film of sound. She went to Hollywood in 1931 and was compared to American actress Marilyn Miller, which from what I read was a woman who was known for playing the Cinderella damsel in distress, rags to riches stories. She got signed to MGM in early 1932 um, and starred in, or excuse me, played in But the Flesh is Weak, starring Robert Montgomery, which was based, which was a movie based on a British stage production and received much praise for her performance. And then she also played in The Private Life of Don Juan in 1934, in, which also starred Hollywood heartthrob Douglas Fairbanks Sr. She appeared in When Will Any Gentleman in 1953, along with George Cole and Veronica Hurst. Her last films were The Deep Blue Sea, which I'm not talking about the 1999 shark film, or the 2011 Rachel Weisz, Tom Loki Hiddleston movie. Um, and then she sh she played in Josephine and, and The Men in 1955. She later passed away in Hillingdon, London in 1987. And that's actually one of the longest ones I could find. So, sorry. Oh, well done. Because at this point, 24 hours ago, you were convinced there was no one famous ever called Heather apart from Heather Lockyer. And that would have made a really shit pitch. No, I refuse. I mean, oh, you, if only you had known what uh, what Lockie knew and actually gone for the plant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely missed the trick for that. Because you could have done a spoon. Hold, hold, hold on, everyone. I think I think there is data that we haven't included. I have attached a picture of Heather Thatcher uh, okay. to the chat. One's oh, no. now clicking on it. Kate's running away to do a picture of a spoon. I'm terrified. Oh, oh she's yeah. got a monocle. She's got a monocle. Strong look. Holmes, do you have any questions? I've never heard of her, but she seemed to have quite a long, long and impressive career by the sounds of it. She actually had a very big list of movies, but I didn't want to just sit here and go through a bunch of movies from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s that no one knows about. No, I mean, we don't want Clive to get nostalgic. But Clive, what was the premiere of Oh Daddy Like, by the way? Yeah, please tell me the plot, because I have questions. <laughs> so many questions. It's I funny, mean, from a lot of those titles, a lot of those titles back in the day, they're all pretty much sound like straight-to-video releases to me. But Probably not even B-movies, probably along the C and D. I'm um, loving some of this. The, the, a warm corner, the play thing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> my internet. Girl is school. Ooh, uh, that is my Mama internet. Mama steps out. She's she was in she was in Gaslight. Yeah, she she was in. I mean, that means I've yeah. seen it. Yeah, that means I've seen her in something, and I'm trying to figure. That's certainly not Fanny by Gaslight, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, is she one of the? She really? might be one of the ladies that. Yeah, I think she holds a reception and gaslight or something. Yeah. I mean, she and, had a pretty successful career in both stage and movies. So, I mean, that's definitely something. She, in Encore, she was in the segment Gigolo and the Gigolette. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention the that one. 
I'm just looking at some of these, some of the the actors, an actress or actress on the go, she starred as um, Mrs. Chumley Orr, English Girl Dancing. I'm loving this. Surely that's just a meme. Unforgettable. Unforgettable role. English English Girl Girl Dancing. Dancing, But she did work with George Cole, which I presume is George Cole from, a young George Cole from mine. He plays plays right back for West Ham, doesn't he? I'm glad I picked something popular. Okay, nothing more for me. I I think, you know, I I feel a bit ignorant because she's obviously got quite an impressive career, but... I had never heard of her either. She's in Beaugest as well. I've seen her a couple of times and I've not noticed who she was. <laughs> she was especially noted for her Egyptian harem dance. I think we can all safely say, though, that despite the fact that no one remembers looking at her or having ever heard of her, Heather's still beating Lockie, right? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I mean... <laughs> Just... Absolutely. E- even though like, there are several other people I know that are noted for their Egyptian harem dance. Yeah, you know, well, Alina for starters. Right, Chris? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> going to? Mm. I'm on mute and I just sorry, I just what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Who should we go to next? Or should we actually my drink's empty? I'm gonna get a drink. You can all go and get a drink as well and then we'll come back. Before we go on to our next one, uh, Kit is going to give, well, Fern, Fern's going to give us a lesson in sex. Fire Kit. Go on, Kit. Uh, let us now turn our attention to the case of unmarried youth. <laughs> Almost all young persons also on reaching youth. the age of maturity desire to marry. That heart must be very cold or very isolated that does not want to find an object on which to bestow its affections. Thus, early marriages would be almost universal. Um, well, the see, young man thinks I cannot marry yet. Santa bought you the ball scratcher so that you could attach yourself. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this does indeed make me think of scratching my balls when I read it. <laughs> oh, we've got, we've got, we've got a little passage about gaudy equipage and gay parties. That sounds like my uh, my kind of thing. He is a man of pleasure, a man of the world. He laughs at the romance of his youth and marries a fortune. Yeah, what is maybe. it? What, it, what is this book? What's happening? <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, so you weren't here. Yeah, do you remember him getting called Science Bro by Fern? Um, yes, yes, I do. Yes. His secret Santa has sent him a copy of Fern's sex lessons <laughs> history so that she can school him not only in how to Twitter but also in sex. Um, Excellent. And yeah. I actually I, suspect I, that despite the mockery, it's going to end up being well thumbed. Uh, <laughs> favorite book. No, Not as well thumbed as that as that little hand, I can I can assure you. <laughs> uh, to all, all, all our little hand needs to get is some good per- purchase, and uh, we're away. <laughs> kind of thumb in there. as well, yeah. An uh, image we all that. needed in our lives. And obviously, <laughs> I mean, like I could say that we feel bad. Um, how many? How many inches? Do you, do you think? Eleven inches? Twelve inches? Oh, I can but, extend it, can't I? Somebody mute Kit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I just, all I'm going to say is, Fern, at least you got the royalties when the book got bought, um, if you're listening to us, which I'm pretty sure she's not. Okay, right. Who should we go on to next? Let's do James. James, have you got a pitch or have you just rocked up? No, no, I have got a pitch, but okay. no, I have missed this pub. I have missed everyone, so <laughs> it's nice to be back. 
Um, I didn't want to go with any Jameses because most of them were boring. Most of them you heard before. And most of them were bastards. Okay, right. Stop talking because History Hack Jesus is having a fucking meltdown right now. Go on, say your piece. <laughs> any of the King Jameses. <laughs> um, James Bond. Uh... <laughs> Come on, man. Well, no, I didn't want to go with the fictional character that everyone knew. I didn't want to go with Jameses because, no, some my, of them were my, bastards. My, my, bo- my boy, Biblical James. I mean, what are you trying to say? <laughs> no. What so, did you go for? Um, I actually went for a Gwilliam. Um, it's a shame Lockie's gone because he delights this one. But we do have at least another rugby fan in the room tonight. I know that much. So I went with John Gwilliam, the Welsh rugby captain and Welsh Hall of Famer. So, yep, yeah, he was the he led the Welsh side that got the first Grand Slam for Wales since 1911. I know he won two Five Nations, 1950, 1952, including a famous win over New Zealand. He didn't go on the British and Lions tour in 1950 because he was also a history teacher and he said he had work commitments. So I'm just looking at a list of teams he played for here. The Light Blues of Cambridge, the Wasps, the London Welsh, Gloucester, among others that I can see. He also served in World War II. He was Royal Tank Regiment. And according to Max Hastings, there's a story about him um, at Rathau, where he was carrying a small German soldier by the scruff of his neck and asked why he didn't just shoot him. Gwilliam perpetually replied, Oh no, sir! Much too small. <laughs> so the, the German or his willy? According to rugby, because I only know a bit of international rugby, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, he played at number eight. He was locked forward. When he was a captain, he was told to do certain, not do certain tactics as a captain because he was literally chosen on the day. Those were the only tactics he knew. So they just decided to make it all look as they played and they still won the game. Um, He did eventually get dropped and unfortunately he was part of the massacre against Scotland where Wales got thumped. But at the same time, yeah, he seems to have had a career as a rugby teacher, history teacher, became a headmaster at Birkenhead School. He was the first um, player at Gloucester to captain for his country as well. And I don't know, he just seemed like a nice person and a bit different to all the uh, bastards and just dull people around. I just love that you've taken a nut as common as James and declared that they're all boring and dull and shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just going through them and I just, you know, when I was like, I could have gone James Cook, could have gone James Clark Ross, but at the same time, I've done James Clark Ross before, and I thought, you know what, let's do a Gwilliam. Is there any famous Gwilliams? Let's see there? what other Jameses have been suggested in the chat, which is all the fun and sensible stuff. Uh, Heather says you could have done James Buchanan, possibly the USA's first gay president, and Kit said the dude who caused the Civil War. Good pick, Heather. Uh, Duncan James, uh, which is Duncan from Blue, isn't it? Which, <laughs> oh, it's a fair shout. <laughs> Oh, he's interesting. Yeah, he is interesting. James Blunt has the best Twitter, like showing his tiny willy. Uh, that was a combination of Sam and Kit. Uh, James Blunt drove tanks too. St. James Park, Chris says. 
Possibly not. <laughs> uh, okay. I think for libel purposes, I wasn't making a reference to James Blunt's willy. I just want to <laughs> really stress that. I do not want to be... That was two sentences that were combined at the wrong time. What about Jesse James? We didn't do Jesse James. That would have been cool. Been cool. Uh, right, okay, Holmes, have you got any questions about this rugby play you've never heard of and don't give a shit about? And it's rugby as well, which is what I'm <laughs> struggling with. I mean, obviously, you know, if we're trying to compare him with some of the other candidates, I mean, how, how many barges from the Midlands can he receive in a single day? <laughs> Depends on the lubricant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, the the war stuff's quite interesting, I suppose. It's just the rugby, the rugby stuff doesn't really do it for me, unfortunately. Mm. Fair enough. Johnny, he's on mute. That's how much he cares. <laughs> I'm here now. Um, I'm just going to chuck a small fact in, Alex, which I, I suspect may swing it for you. Uh, his wife's surname prior to marriage was Lloyd George. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> no further questions. Right, okay then. <laughs> On that note, right, where can we go next? Where can we go next? Uh, let's do... Kate, you ready with your one about a spoon yet? No, I'm joking. <laughs> you can... I'm not, but I can be at a moment's notice. I mean, it's not too tricky, is it, to... Uh... Go well, on then, give us a pitch for a spoon. Your secret Santa hasn't arrived in Spain yet, has it? No, I have no secret Santa. Everybody will tweet their secret Santas when they eventually show up. Um, so, yeah, no, I haven't got a pitch tonight because um, Catherine's, I looked at Catherine's, I nearly did Catherine Hepburn, but she spells it wrong and isn't that great. And I looked at Catherine the Great, who is misnamed massively. <laughs> yeah. um, she being not as shit as your husband shouldn't qualify you for the great, should it? Exactly. And then, so there basically are no famous, uh, well, there are, sorry, there are basically no famous people spooners. But in terms, so I've got a double barrel telling Campbell spooner. So Campbell's, everybody hates them. All of the Scots hate the Campbell's, obviously, because of Glencoe. So, yeah, we're bastards. So I couldn't find a Campbell that was very great. So, I looked at spooners, and as I say, there are no famous spooners. Um, but Sam did suggest earlier that I do spoons. So, yeah, spoons, they're brilliant because you can eat soup with them and ice cream. And if you didn't have a spoon, how else would you eat your ice cream? Excellent. Holmes, any questions? Well, I don't suppose we know when spoons are reckoned to be invented. Hey, there is. I actually did look. <laughs> So sad. Um, they, they found evidence of spoon-like instruments in Neanderthal um, uh, remains, with Neanderthal remains. So, yeah, that far back. And then I think it was, I think it was Egyptians that used, like, shells and then attached either bone or wood or something to them, um, which was kind of the first spoon recognisable spooner supposedly comes from chips of the Middle English word for chips of wood, um, which is what the spoon handle was, I suppose. So there's the connection to the name. Okay. I mean it, it's certainly spoons have certainly had more of an impact on my life than all the other people nominated so far. So <laughs> <laughs> Johnny? Well I'm lost for words. Um 
Should we do a serious pitch? Who's got a serious pitch? Someone ra- raise your hand if you've actually got a serious pitch. And Alina, if by serious you mean Holocaust, I will mute the fuck out of you. <laughs> no, it's actually serious. Okay. Have you got a secret Santa to open? Do I have to open it? Yeah. Yes. It's a frigging book. And I know Chris has been influential on whoever my frigging secret Santa is. Whoever you are, you suck. And there's... Oh, dear God almighty, I can't even put this on camera. Come on, Open it below the camera. I mean, if Kit can put his miniature ball scratcher on camera, you can... Well, I think this will go quite nicely with Kit's miniature ball scratcher, to be honest. (laughs) 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 Elena has a colouring book for adults. That's really nice. She's right, that's got Chris written all over it, hasn't it? <laughs> Look, there's, they're pretty with flowers and shit. There's one with a seahorse as well. I mean, that that's epic. Oh, look, there's a butterfly one with a bit <laughs> of a flaccid penis. <laughs> okay, so you need to pick one and colour it in now. Um, <laughs> oh, and then we'll I have... Judge it at oh, dear God. Wait, there's a second one. <laughs> and um, <laughs> here's my secret sound. It is literally a dick. <laughs> Awesome life of Mr. Dick. Oh, that's brilliant. That oh, looks cute. Need to do story time. It's like a cartoon. Why is it riding a cow? I don't know, but oh look, Mr. Mr. Dick is 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 like a witch. Wait, this one's the best one. Mr. Dick at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Dick is pumping iron. You're gonna have to tweet that on Boxing Day so people know what this is length. That's it. We're not going to get a word of sense out of Alina now. She's going to spend the rest of the night with Mr. Dick. <laughs> it's, it's a good job the normal rules of the workplace don't apply here, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, God, I'd be fired. The colleague is going to get you in a bit of trouble. Yeah, it's amazing what you can get away with when nobody gets paid. Alina, pitch. <laughs> okay, so I had a bit of an issue. Um, so first of all, my surname is not common, so forget that one. I was going to do like a legend and then I thought, no, that'd be a bit shit. <laughs> then obviously another Alina is a Holocaust survivor. And then I thought Alex will kill me. And uh, even though it's the easiest option, I'm not going to do that either. Uh, then the third option is there's too many fucking Russians with my name. Oh, my days. Just made me sick. So then I thought I'd do as a joke. Uh, Alina Kab- Ka- uh, Kabeva. Does anyone know who she is? No, but you're going to Putin. Tell she's Putin's mistress. So yeah, I was no. going to do that as a joke. <laughs> no, even though I'd like to Putin bash today, I'm not going to Putin bash, even though he's a cunt. Um, instead, I'm going to do something. It's not my period of history. So if, Bartek, if you're listening to this, I'm really fucking sorry. Um, do not kill me at work. Anyway, so I'm going to do Alina Barbara Pienkowska. Would you like me to write that in the chat for our judges? Yeah, yeah. I got about I got about two syllables in. <laughs> I will write this in the chat for uh Pienkovs, Pienkovska. There we go. I'm not honestly sure that the uh the words will help if it's any <laughs> if it's only <laughs> so, <Solis> Andrew. <laughs> my name followed by that go. surname for our judges if uh uh Holmes would like to Google that. Anyway, uh Anina Barbara Pienkovska, she's born in January nineteen fifty two in Gdańsk. Okay. Get your ears pricked up, because I'm taking you to do this shit. Boaty things. Uh, close. Kind of. Oh, yeah, you're dragging us all there, aren't you? There oh, yes. Us. I'm dragging you all to Gdansk. Yeah. 
<laughs> get out. Chris is like, yeah, yeah, she is. Go on, get on with it. Get the yes, fuck out of your Danzig. <laughs> anyway, so her family actually moves from Lesser Poland. Uh, her father began working in the Gdańsk shipyard because there was better work opportunities up there. She's the eldest of four, and they lived in a block close to the shipyard. So when we go there, guys, I will show you whereabouts she used to live. <clears throat> in high school, uh, she's already making anti-communist statements. So you can see where this is going. After high school exams, she wanted to go to university. <clears throat> but in those days, your parents were absolute shitheads and decided on what you actually had to do. So therefore, she was forced into nursing school. But she wanted more. She wanted to be this attractive, independent woman. She wanted to break free from all of these social norms. Uh, this is to come, don't worry. Uh, she wasn't received very well in this way by her loved ones. Her mother said, I quote, her skirts are too short. And her future husband said that she wore way too much makeup. She should have told them more to jog the fuck on. In 1973, she began working in the regional hospital. Two years later, in 75, she began working in the healthcare centre in the Gdansk shipyard. This will be important for later. Uh, in between that, she gave, birth, she gave birth to her son, Sebastian, in 1974. But her marriage to her first husband, Piotr Pinkowski, it wasn't to last. It was quite turbulent. Um, and they divorced in 1977. She ends up being sent to Manchester. Thank God I don't have to explain to you lot what Manchester is. Uh, to stay with her uncle. Her parents' goal for her there was to find herself an English husband and settle down. However, she did find herself a husband, all right, but he weren't English. He was Polish. Bogdan Borusiewicz, who is uh, currently still in Polish politics now. She returns to Poland and decides she wants to work for the opposition, aka the Solidarity Movement. And she read about Borosiewicz's before they become husband and wife. She reads about Borosiewicz uh, in the opposition newspapers. She finds his address, proper stalker. She went to his house uh, with information about her experience at the healthcare centre at the shipyard because the shipyard was unable to provide safe working conditions. Uh, there were constant accidents, uh, especially some being quite fatal. So Borosiewicz realises that uh, Alina can reach basically workers uh, in the docks without arousing any suspicion. She's a woman. She's a healthcare assistant, um, healthcare professional. So she ends up making her own position in the free trade union movement, a.k.a. Solidarity. She carries on, even though there's constant searches, arrests <clears throat> arrest and provocations. In August 1978, the secret police began surveillance on her. And um, she, basically, she attracted their attention because she was distributing leaflets calling for the commemorations of the workers murdered in December 1970. Uh, what I do need to underline here is Poland is under communist rule at this point. There is like no freedom. And these are the beginnings of the works of solidarity. And Alina is really heavily involved in all of this. Uh, and as a woman, I believe I think she's frigging fucking amazing by doing all of this, uh, as were a lot of the women who got themselves involved in this. Anyway, in 1979, um, the security police again were coming after her. This time, the claims of neglect of her son, and they were trying to coerce her ex-husband as a witness. However, he's also part of this movement, and he basically tells him to fuck off. In the fifth on the 15th of August 1980, she basically is the person who informs the world of the start of the strikes in the Gdansk shipyard. This is where solidarity really starts to kick in. Uh, she tries to end up stopping the strike after negotiations were agreed with the management and the workers, but people still continued, stayed on and um, were striking. 
In the following days, she prepared with another fellow Solidarity Movement person, Barbara Przedwojska, uh, the content of the 16th postulate of the inter-enterprise strike regarding healthcare uh, to improve the working conditions of the health service, which will ensure medical care for working people. You've got to remember these people don't have rights. There's no rights. There's no health care. There's no proper health and safety. These people are working in absolutely horrific conditions. The government commissions at this point were so frigging terrified of her, especially when she'd speak, because she would speak with a lot of emotion, self-confidence and passion. And at one point, she demanded the release of Mirosov Hoyetsky. He was a printer of the opposition, so he'd print all like the newspapers and things like that. He was arrested. And within a few days, he was released because they complied with her demands. I mean, I'd love to be that powerful to basically turn around and be like, yeah, get this person released. So the day before martial law, so martial law was introduced literally on the 13th of December in 1981. The day before martial law, this was the martial law was supposed to completely end the solidarity movement. That was the whole purpose of this. Uh, it wasn't really successful because they go underground, but she gets detained the day before by the Polish militia. And then she's released uh, six months later in July 1982. Um, she then, when got, she got released, she ended up working for, um, to, let me start that again. Uh, when she was released, she started to organise accommodation for anti-communist anti activists, Jesus Christ, um, who was still in hiding because this is, like I said, the point of this was to suppress the uh, the solidarity movement. 1984, she gives birth to a daughter, and she finally marries Bogdan in secret. Took him frigging long enough. She uh, was the co-organiser of the Solidarity Social Foundation, and she took part in many more strikes. This is towards the later half of the 80s. She refuses to participate in the roundtable talks in 1989, the most famous talks to basically hash out Poland and um, to have free... Um, uh what's it called god i've lost the word in english um Elect elections thank yeah. you <laughs> uh, in 1991 uh she refuses to take up uh, the portfolio of the minister of health uh and then later on in the year she obtains a senatorial mandate after the defeat of solidarity in 93 she returns to work in the clinic in the shipyard she basically gives up uh, uh, politics up until 1998 uh until, until 2002 when she was a councillor in Gdańsk. Uh, she dies in 2002 from a serious illness. And then in 2006, she was um, awarded the Grand Cross of the Order of Polonia Restituta. So there we go. A bit of solidarity uh, thing for you there. Uh, well, it was still Polish, so it wasn't happy, but it was a serious pitch, which is better than a spoon or Camden Lock. Uh, so we are at least getting somewhere with some actual history content now. So well done. Uh, Dyer, any questions? Um, that, uh, the most interesting one today by some considerable distance. Um, it, it was intriguing to hear, obviously, that when all we ever saw on TV about solidarity was Lech Wałęsa. So, and other men, as, as far as I can recall, I was about nine or ten at the time. So it, it's intriguing to hear a story of a, of a woman behind it, you know, especially at that time. Um, yeah, written no, no particular questions because it was explained really well. But uh, yeah, fascinating story. Holmes, any questions on this one? No, not really. I mean, I mean, it's sort of to echo what Johnny said. We've only ever heard of Lech Wałęsa, but is she is she well known in Poland? Yeah, her husband uh, is still very well known in Poland. Uh, he's the marshal marshal Poland. I think that's how you translate it into English. He's still big into politics, so her name is still well known. I mean, there's quite a lot of women that were known in Poland for their participation, but outside of Poland, they're they're not acknowledged or cared about at all. 
because like you said it's all about Lech Walesa because he was the one on the magazine covers he was the one in the news he was the one they were showing all around not the women even though the women were like doing down the dirty I mean if you look which by the way we're going to go to the Solidarity Museum FYI uh you'll actually be able to see how many women were arrested and what they actually did and it's really powerful I had to forgot to open her present. <laughs> Heather, open your secret center. Yeah, because whenever Alex says, oh, let's go with Heather, I panic. Oh, cool. Oh, that's actually a good one. Like, <laughs> oh, she has a Heather Warrior Princess because this, if you didn't know, Heather's main obsession in life, other than her cats, is Lucy Lawless has seen a Warrior Princess, and she, yes, her own. I will testify. So, I went over to America, and Heather and I spent a, a day together. And I would say a good three hours of that was one comic shop where she went through every single Xena Warrior Princess comic to check out which ones she really wanted to take home. I took a duplicate. This is very true. I mean, I actually went, I left, went and got an ice cream four blocks away, came back, and she was still on the first one. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I thought it had only been 15 minutes. So, I mean, my bad. Yeah, I mean, it was the part where the sun was beginning to set that should have been the clue. Well, not. Right, okay, let's do another pitch. Let's go for History Hack Jesus. Hello. This better be good, because you like you kind of implied it would be, because you wouldn't tell anyone what you were doing. I, I like I like to give people surprises, you know. It's Wait, it's obviously who I am. Warned you about that. I mean, to be fair, Lockie surprised us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's if it's your dad, then we're in serious trouble. <laughs> well, um, my my pitch is um, yeah, a process. Uh, I have I have honourable mentions to Joshua Reynolds, the artist um, who I decided was probably not famous enough to count as the most famous Josh. Um, then. Then you Joshua. heard James's pitch. Famous James. I'm sorry, I, I paid attention to what I thought the rules were, um, but well, that, was uh, first then, that was my first mistake. Then we have uh, an honourable mention to uh, General Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain uh, of Gettysburg fame, um, but uh, I thought I, maybe a soldier was too on the nose. So that led me uh, to. Uh, Joshua from the Bible, who is probably the most famous Joshua, and I was I uh, was looking through, you know, to try and how do I tell the story of Joshua in a way that would make you think that you know re reasonably he is the the most famous Joshua. When I, the thought occurred to me that actually that's not true, he's not the most famous Joshua, depending on a particular quirk in in how in the in language. Because uh, those of you who may know this factoid will nod along with me when I say that there is no difference. And you, you will probably appreciate this, Alex. There is no difference in Hebrew between the name Joshua and Jesus. There you go. And what and that means, did you need? That means, ladies and gentlemen, I am forced to say that the most famous Joshua is Jesus. Are we seriously going for mythological characters and not history? <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Kit, because there are actually eight non-Christian sources that tell you that Jesus did actually walk the earth. Um, His name wasn't mm -hmm. Jesus, and he wasn't born on Christmas Day. His birthday was in April, but he did walk the earth. He did, 
And, you know, if you want to argue with people, argue with Pliny the Younger, argue with the Emperor Trajan, argue with Tacitus, argue with all those guys, all right? So that's that's another reason why I decided to go with Jesus, because there's a lot of books written about Jesus. And, you know, you can talk about him as a historical person or a, person or, or, or a figure of divinity, whatever you like. But there is no doubt that if I'm supposed to choose the most famous Jesus, uh, Joshua, then it's actually Jesus. Because, well, also, why not go with that as well? Because, you know, he he, he preached a, a good message, his birthday is coming up, you know, peace, love, hope, joy, redemption, things. That, those are nice themes. I can get on board with those themes. And um, I just, I felt I owed it to you all who have bestowed upon me this nickname. <laughs> <laughs> To bring Jesus uh, into the Christmas down the pub, you know, notwithstanding everything that had gone before. Holmes, I mean, you can't argue with him, can you? No, I mean, as long as what he's saying about the translation of the name is right, then you know, some don't really. Yeah, um, uh, I can't. I, we can do that. It's kind of, kind of a little in depth, and it's can, a little hard to explain. Can I but ask a question about that translation. Which one? Uh, the Jesus to yeah to, yeah so so because we have Joshua's in the Bible and we yeah. have James's in the Bible so why do we have their Jesus because that's well that's the that's the heart of the translation issue okay so Jesus was probably known as Yeshua uh, in a, it, when he was alive and yeah and um, Joshua is just the, the 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 English way of saying Yeshua and it's 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 a complicated thing to do with so they're both the same name they both mean um i think something along the lines of god saves or something like that and he what an arrogant little prick he comes down to this earth and he's gone my name is god saves <laughs> Fuck you all. yeah that's completely the wrong message Sorry. entirely <laughs> to do with jesus um and his parents called him that but sure <laughs> his parents thought that they were giving birth according to the myth well I, you know parents in... fundamentalist firebomb cornwall because kit won't shut up johnny is yeah sorry, sorry about it. <laughs> <And> anyway, <laughs> the point is despite despite kit's open-minded approach to things um to answer his question the the the, the thing goes like this if you i believe it goes like this in greek they say they, they put Yeshua as Iasus or something like that and then in Latin it becomes Jesu and then in English it becomes Jesus but if you lit if you go literally from Hebrew to uh, from Joshua Hebrew to like Yeshua to English then it becomes um, uh, Joshua. I love the way we've gone from a tiny little hand bull scratcher debating <laughs> the origins of Jesus. That's how highbrow we are. I don't. I don't need to debate the origins of Jesus with Kit here. I think he's made up his mind. I don't think anybody's changing that. Uh, that interestingly decorated room. Also, mind. as well, who doesn't want to mix? <laughs> who doesn't want to mix smart with alcohol with religion? I know, right? I mean, best, Jesus, I think actually, I think Jesus would have. Jesus would have loved this podcast. He'd have been on it. Could have come in and for the laughs. Mm. <laughs> I, I wondered where I wondered where Josh was going with this. When he first started, I, I admittedly I left Sunday school in 1977, but I thought you were going about going 
tell us about the chap who ended up inside the whale. But obviously that wasn't him, was it? That would be Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would have been less Christmassy, but possibly it more would, I mean, I, I guess. I mean, what is that The line from the Vicar of Dibley where Alice goes like, yeah, when you've heard it once, you've heard a time angel sing on high thing. Yeah, it's it's been done, but... It's it's this it is the season, Andrew, and I can't argue with the fact he's the most famous Joshua. He is, but I, the rules tonight aren't. There's no criteria. It's not the most famous, though. Is it? It's the just the most whateverist, isn't it? Best. Yeah. The best. The best. Well, I still think he's the best, Joshua. To be fair, it wouldn't be the lamest pitch we've ever heard on this program. <laughs> so, best, I call Jesus and leave it at that. There have been. Words. Yeah. I mean, I know nobody's really heard of him. tonight, frankly, with Camden Lock. Yeah, I mean, I know nobody's heard of him or anything like that, and it's not that big a deal. But I just thought I'd go niche. He he plays for Arsenal now, so I can't be having him, sorry. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Football <laughs> players are dodgy. Right, okay, let's go to... Let's do Sam. Excellent. She's already so drunk she can't. Understand. No, I've um, I've got, I've got two screens going, and so my cursor was stuck on the other screen. That's just foolish, frankly. Yeah, excuses. Okay, so I'm afraid my uh, my pitch tonight is going to be erratic, ill thought out, and ends very quickly, which is very, very much like all my relationships. Uh, so there were uh, there were many famous. <laughs> yeah, rounds of applause in the team. Thank you. Uh, there were many famous Samuels that I could have chosen from. And I, I went with a Samuel rather than a Samantha because Samuels, because of the patriarchy, there have been a lot more famous Samuels than there have Samanthas. Although there is a national Samantha Day happening on the 7th of January, should anyone wish to uh, send me a gift. Uh, so famous Samuels. There were many famous Samuels I could have chosen. Samuel Pepys gave us naval reform that helped professionalise the Royal Navy. And I could have got an easy uh, vote from Kate there. Vote to Kate. I'm in. Uh, I'm oh, yeah, yeah, I'm from Chris. I know, but it has hey. sails, Chris. You don't like boats with sails. Who um, doesn't like boats with sails? Yes, I don't, don't like boats with sails. <laughs> I, he's I, don't like I mean, I know, obviously, that could, we could be talking about his relationships as well there, but he'll take any <laughs> That's why Chris and I are besties. Uh, that's why, that's <laughs> why we all get on so well together in this room. <clears throat> So yeah, so Samuel Pepys, naval reform, um, also wrote the uh, probably one of the finest set of diaries that gives a social history of the 17th century. So would have easily won Charlie's vote. Samuel Adams helped forge the United States of America. Easy win, getting Heather's vote. Samuel Taylor Coleridge wrote the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Haunts English literature students probably would have switched you all off. However, and I'm going to pick up my microphone for dramatic effect. <laughs> Did any of them get those goddamn snakes off those goddamn planes? Oh, no. No, they did not. That was Samuel L. motherfucker Jackson, bitches. So everyone knows who he is and what he's been in. So we don't need a list of his films. Even just listing the good ones would take forever, let alone the fucking shit ones. And he does them shit ones. But he does them because he finds them funny, not because he needs to do them. And that's part of what makes him great. His combined films have made $27 billion worldwide, which makes him the highest grossing current actor and potentially the highest grossing uh, ever actor of all time. And I say I say potentially because no one's actually calculated the inflation rates of the original golden age of actors, blah, 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 blah. 
So if you take his actual literal figure now and compare it to all others, it's, it's the highest ever. So we'll go with that. The role of Jules Winfield in Pulp Fiction was written especially for him. And this is a character that was ranked second in the coolest movie characters of all time in a poll by The Empire magazine. Literally the coolest of all time. And he came second and he only lost out to Tyler of Fight Club. Ugh, whatever. He's not as good. Um, so he's a, he's, he's a man that was so cool and loved that when he entered one of the world's most beloved franchises, Star Wars, yes, Chris, pick up your ears, he turned around and said, you know what? I want my lightsaber to be purple, motherfuckers. Thanks, mate. And George Lucas is like, yeah, but they're meant to be blue or red or green. And he's like, no, purple, motherfuckers. And they're like, okay, we'll make it purple because you're the coolest man ever. Uh, but going back to this motherfucker, yeah. Uh, so as a kid, this 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 thing of motherfucker in his sentences, it's partly because he finds it cool, partly because as a kid he had a stutter. Oh, everyone feels sorry for him. He had a stutter, and he, as an adult, he carried this stutter with him. But he, uh, when he was trying to learn drama, he developed adding in motherfucker whenever he felt his stutter coming back. So that's why you get stutter, because it's an actual mechanism to deal with a real-life stutter. Everyone feels sorry for him. But he's not just an actor. No, no, he has done little bits of activism. Uh, although he will always say, uh, uh, he has been recorded to say, he's not trying to change the world. He's just here to entertain people. But he was an usher at Martin Luther King's funeral. How many people can say that? And in 1969... Uh, Samuel L. Motherfucker Jackson and several other students, uh, they held the uh, the members of Morehouse College Board of Trustees hostage on campus, demanding reform in the school's curriculum and governance. And weirdly, one of those was Martin Luther King Sr. Um, but poor Samuel L. Motherfucker Jackson. After they agreed to change the policy, Samuel L. Motherfucker Jackson was charged with uh, unlawful confinement, a second-degree felony in America, and he was convicted of it. So he was dismissed from the college for two years, uh, and in that suspension period, he was a social worker. Again, oh, everyone, oh, for Samuel. He did go back to college, got his BA in drama, and that's how we have the man that we have now. But during the 2008 presidential campaign, he campaigned with President, the, the, the next President Obama because he said, Barack Obama represents everything I was told I could not be when growing up. I'm a child of segregation and I did not believe I could be that person. But now we have a representative. The American dream is a reality. Anyone can grow up to be a president. Again, oh, Samuel. Please tell me he said motherfuckers on the end of it. Oh, I would add that. I didn't find that in the quote. And I paraphrased the quote anyway. So let's go for it. Anyone could grow up to be president, motherfuckers. But <laughs> I'm sure that Chris Sams will say the greatest thing he's ever done. And by this, I mean Samuel L. Motherfucker Jackson, not Chris. Uh, is, rec <laughs> is record Chris's favorite bedtime audiobook that he plays to his kids regularly. Titled, <laughs> Go the Fuck to Sleep. <laughs> and uh my favorite trivia fact that i found on imdb is that he has the rare distinction of having played characters that have been eaten by both a shark and a dinosaur so for for questions the shark was into the deep and a dinosaur was off screen on jurassic park so he's been eaten by both a shark and a dinosaur motherfuckers so in conclusion 
Only a Sam as awesome as Samuel L. motherfucking Jackson can make a film as shit as Snakes on a Plane an enduring cultural reference. His birthday is the 21st of January. No, sorry. Hold on. Drunk, so I'm getting in there. 21st of December. And he's going to be like 73 or 74 and he's still fucking awesome. So, happy birthday, sir. Good night. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What I love most about that pitch was the Star Wars conversation going on in the chat, which was Kate... (laughs) Jameson, and he got a purple motherfucking lightsaber. Kit, what was funny about the Star Wars prequels? Kate's response, Padme dying of sadness and not suffering like the rest of us. At which point, (laughs) Beth says that her husband has walked in several times and wonders what the fuck is going on and what we're doing. As does anyone listening to this podcast right now at this point. Uh, And Kit has just dropped the metal nut scratcher on his nuts. Is it cold? Not now. What? What? No, not anymore. Right. Okay. Uh, the uh, dire. I give you the historical great that is Samuel L. Jackson. I love. I love that you. you I love that you went in and went via Samuel Taylor Coleridge and all of the other Samuels went. But no, I found someone better. Dyer. Also, please, please use his full name of Samuel L. Motherfucker Jackson, Alex. Thank you. <clears throat> Go on, Johnny. I'm speechless. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, certainly an, an extraordinary actor. I, I didn't know he was the highest grossing box office chappie of all time. That's really quite remarkable. But he was he was in all the Avengers stuff, wasn't he? Which has just completely destroyed everything else. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do agree with that in the sense that the, uh, the, the highest grossing non-actor in a film, so someone who's just had a cameo, and beats therefore Samuel L. Jackson money wise is Stan Lee, who obviously cameos in the Marvel but doesn't actually do much in them. However, Samuel L. Jackson in the Marvels is fucking awesome. Like he's he's made eye patches even trendier than fake Nelsons. Come at me, Kate. Come at me. Yeah, try it. Um Stick <laughs> in fights, sorry. Um yeah, so he's made eye patches trendy. He's made he's made uh the in the little cat goose who scratches his eye out, who's actually an alien. Sorry, spoilers. He's made all of that cool. Is it, I, I can't, is, what's is it good fellas he has a really small cameo in and gets his head blown out onto onto a bed? I don't know, I haven't watched his entire back catalogue. It is, it is. Very mm. yeah. Right. Stacks. Has he got stacks? Stacks, that's it, yeah, yeah. Um, no further questions. Carry on. I'm. I thought it was a strong, a strong pitch. Um, but as regards the purple lightsaber, 
they had to sort of invent a backstory. As in, I think he was the only Jedi powerful enough to use a lightsaber that was powered by a purple kyber crystal. I yeah. think that's the story. What's that? What's that? The Star Wars people had to invent a backstory for something they randomly put into the franchise. I know. Yeah, there's a, there's a narrative for a character. You pick Jesus. You can only have green or blue. You can only have green or blue lights. I can't help but if you're joyless but hold on. and alone but at that tonight, point, kid. I'm sure there was like yellow and orange lightsabers as well. There no, was. Also, on his, on, on his yeah. gold hilt, so bearing in mind, most lightsabers are silver. On his gold hilt, he has BMF, which stands yeah. for bad yeah. motherfucker. And that's all based yeah. on who his personality is outside of the film. So the fictional character of Mace Windu, the fictional character of Mace Windu was influenced by the real life awesomeness of Samuel L. Motherfucker Jackson. I, I, I mean, the fact is. That's a quote from Pulp Fiction because his wallet in Pulp Fiction had badass motherfucker on it. Thank you very much, Chris, for I mean, coming the, in the, as support. The, the fact is, in Star Wars, is almost enough for me because, you know, no one's seen Jesus slash Joshua in any of the Star Wars stuff, not even the Disney Plus streaming things. I know, weird, right? You'd think they'd have capitalized on that by now. I mean, you'd think it appeared by now. Also, I mean, he, <laughs> said, he, said, um, he said, I don't mind dying in Star Wars as long as I don't die like an arsehole. And he did not like <laughs> die like an arsehole. So he got his wish in real life. He's an arsehole. No, sorry. Oh, Jesus. Drunk, drunk Sam should not come up to play. In his real life, he's not an arsehole. And in his fictional uh, Star Wars world, he died like an awesome dude. Job done. Okay. Um, I don't really have anything else to add to that. <laughs> okay. Mic drop. Mic drop moment. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see if we can go slightly further back in history than uh, 1998. <laughs> and see what Beth has got to say. Um, well, present first, but we're not going back into history that far. <laughs> um, present, Tinker Beth Moore has her present. I'm going to open mine as well. Fuck it. Uh, what? Ooh, ooh. what have you got? It's Disney, obviously. Crystal. It's 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 a crystal art stamp of Minnie Mouse. Uh, that's your worst nightmare. <laughs> this requires patience and oh, artistic care, of, of which I egg. have neither. You know what? I may have had something to do with egging your secret Santa on because these I can just are your worst nightmare because it's like you have to glue the individual hundreds of crystals down, don't you, to make Oh, no. You well, now I'm going to have... I need, I need to do it because someone has taken the time out of their day. I know, and that's exactly what I, I said to them. It. She'll see it as a challenge and her over-competitive nature will mean that she'll have to complete it even though she will hate every second and that's why they've done it. <laughs> It's entirely my fault, and I'm not sorry. <laughs> well, I just say, you know who you are. I love you for doing that, because I didn't think you'd actually go through with it. And now she's actually, I bet she starts it now, just like I said she would. I'm literally opening it already. <laughs> oh, Are you opening yours first, or yeah, can I crack on? Mine, uh, then this is quite a loaded Secret Santa gift at the moment. I have my own voodoo doll, and I only need to print a photo off my phone. I can make them go bald. I can do <laughs> chronic flatulence, accelerate serious genital discomfort. I'm definitely doing that one. A deeply lonely life, halitosis. I'm uh, locking my account. Just describing me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just describing me. Now, what else could I do to this person? Boils and acne. 
<laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Constipation. Oh my god, jog on. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be printing a photo off now. When she finds so. out who sends it to her, when she looks at the list. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 I think I I could already see who my secret Santa was, and I think we all know who mine's going to end up being. Right, let's move on swiftly. Beth, right. who have you chosen? Right, okay. Well, I I had a bit of a I, I had a crisis with this one because there were so many mores. Because apparently, more is the thirty first most common surname in the UK. Um, so I had many, many, many mores. Um, but not many Beths or Bethany's, like, coming back to, Josh will appreciate this, the, like, historical context of Bethany being in the Bible, and it means either, it means either house of figs or house of affliction or the poor house, so basically poor people went there and they ate figs, basically, um, and then if I went for more, obviously there's Bobby Moore, or I could have picked Roger Moore, but I don't even know how I could have picked Roger Moore when I don't even think he's the best Bond, controversially. It's obviously Sean Connery. Um, so how could I talk about him being the best Moore? And I was really struggling. All hope was lost. The world had come to an end until I stumbled upon someone who is so much better. Um, this is someone who's better known by their stage name, but does actually share not only just surname, but also first name with me as well. Um, well, it's their middle name, but it's my first name. So I'm taking it. I'm counting it. Um, and I'm really, really happy I share the same name as this person. So this person is Alicia Beth Moore. Um, she was born on the September the 8th, 1979 in Pennsylvania. Um, she is known for her musical. Uh, ability shall we say and she showed this quite early on in life uh, she had an unsuccessful start with a girl band but eventually struck out on her own started a solo career and produced her debut album which was called I Can't Take Me Home in 2000 which went straight straight into the top 10 and became an international hit she won various awards like the new artist of the year at the 2000 Billboard Music Awards supported NSYNC on their American leg of their No Strings Attached attached tour and in, in in 2001 and if this doesn't give it away who she is I don't know what will alongside Christina Aguilera Maya and Lil Kim performed a cover of Lady Marmalade for the soundtrack of Moulin Rouge surely you must have guessed it by now Alicia Bethmore aka the woman I share a name with is none other than the astounding Pink yeah Pink. um she does not ever, has never in her career, can ever be accused of wanting to be just another cookie-cutter pop star. Um, she has always taken creative control, and that became very clear very early on in her career when she took control of her second album, Misunderstood, possibly one of her most famous, and it is actually, even still to this day, her best-selling album with over 13 million copies sold, which has some of her most famous early works like Get the Party Started and Just Like a Pill. Uh, all of the, the, what you can think of when you think of Pink, it's those songs. And she's, oh, I'm just, I'm so happy that we share names. Um, you know, she, throughout the, the 2000s, success followed her everywhere she went. Um, we've got singles like Who Knew, You in Your Hand, which is obviously a euphemism to masturbation, which we all love at History Act. Um, But again, it was in 2008 that after all of these years of eight years of being on the music scene, being really, really known, 
quite well that she exploded again in 2008 with her single so what when it was leaked online and so what is such an amazing song radio stations was so quick to give it airtime even though it was leaked before it was supposed to officially be out there within six hours it had shot to number one on various charts um but in this period as well she's really quite well known as like an aerial acrobat that she does this is something she does on tour that's something that from when she was a child she did gymnastics and she incorporates that into her shows and bring she brought in that aerial aspect to her shows in this period 2008 2009 and it's been so popular that it's been part of her work ever since by the time we get to 2010 by the end of the decade she's been going for 10 years she's recognized by billboard as the pop song artist of the decade by the bbc as the second most played female solo artist in the uk behind madonna had sold three million concert tickets on her 2009-10 worldwide tour and released possibly her best song raise your glass which is the first single from her first compilation album of the um, greatest hits so far which not only celebrates a decade of her work but it's dedicated to her fans who've supported her over the decade as well awesome awesome woman She's been credited for breaking boundaries and pushing the envelope musically throughout her career. She's regarded as a trailblazer, an artist of the pop generation. James Montgomery of MTV describes her as a fabulously fearless pop artist who can outsing almost anyone. She can out crazy Gaga. She's the total pop star package. Everything you'd want in a singer, entertainer, icon. Entertainment Weekly said that she's essentially invented the whole modern wave of pop diva domination and that you can draw a straight line from get this party started right through Katy Perry, Kesha, Lady Gaga and Rihanna. Glamour magazine also wrote that when she was when Pennsylvania born Alicia Beth Moore debuted in 2000, pop was dominated by long locked blondes like Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera and Jessica Simpson. Pink has changed the game. Without her, the last 13 years, the big-voiced, tough, chick music is hard to imagine. A trailblazer in the musical world for over two decades, an activist and a fighter for those in need, and a mother whose message to her daughter of self-appreciation and love resonated across the world. So whilst I normally would have argued that the greatest Beth Moore is actually, in fact, me, in this case... I am more than happy to bow down to Alicia Beth Moore, one of the most astounding women of this generation. Uh, it's a very good pitch for someone who I don't think should win, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's probably my age, right? But I'm, I'm as familiar with her back catalogue as I am of the films of Heather Thatcher, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, apart from Get This Party Started, whatever, I couldn't name a single pink track. But she sounds like a lovely lady. I do remember the Norwegian volleyball thingy where they were told they had to wear, like, basically had to flash their moo-moos at everybody in the Olympics and they didn't want it. And she went, fuck it, I'll pay that. That's wrong. That was cool. Um, no, I mean, it was quite a thorough pitch. I don't think I've got any questions. Johnny, you're more down with the kids than me. <laughs> Beth, without looking, what's her star sign? Uh, September, that makes her a... Virgo. You're probably right. I was just trying to find something you didn't know about her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Virgo. Virgo. I'm going with it. Virgo. 
you're probably right. Um, comprehensive doesn't begin to cover that. Um, very well done. Um, yeah, like Holmes, it's uh, my daughter's probably more familiar with her than I am. Um, I recognise a couple of her tunes, but fair play to her. She's starting. I'm just having a look here. She's starting a summer tour next year in Bolton. God bless her for that, because not many people want to do that. At least it's not Groomsby or Birmingham. She's going to, she's going to Villa Park as well. It says yeah. here. Oh Jesus Christ! God save her soul. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Right. Okay. Uh, so we went. We didn't. Well, I think she came out about 1999. So we ended up not doing any history at all in that one. So let's see if we can uh, find something a little bit older. Dorman, where have you gone? Oh God, I've got to follow Pink. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Um, so I suffer from the same issue that Andy Locke suffers from in that, as he said, every historical Andrew is a dick. Um, I found one saint from what, Moldova or Hungary called Andrew the Fool. He seemed pretty cool. Um, but outside of that, it's a lot of Hungarian kings and pedophiles, allegedly. Um, so yeah, it's it's not a great mix. So I looked at my second name, and there were a couple of interesting choices. Uh, there's a lot of football players. There's an Andy Dorman who plays professionally, um, but obviously going for a sports player would be a terrible decision. <laughs> so I'm not doing that. Um, also, bring, there was Isaiah bringing in, Dorman bringing in a bringing in a non-professional footballer with your name would be really barrel scraping. <laughs> yeah, I play five aside with this dude. So, <laughs> and he's here tonight. Now, um, there was Isaiah Dorman, who was a translator who was killed at the Battle of Little Bighorn. He had quite an interesting story. He uh, betrayed the Sioux and apparently had this relationship with um, their chief and everything like this, and was then uh, killed alongside Custer. Uh, but the guy I've gone for is the one who had the longest Wikipedia page because um, I thought I'd need to pad this out. So it, it, it's it's a combo name because, um, <laughs> you know, again, the need to pad, pad out. And it's Eric Dorman Smith. Um, so I'm in the 20th century here. Definitely not my preferred area, but he was born in the 19th century. So that'll do. Um, he was born in County Cavan in Ireland. Um, Cavan is famous for being cheap. Um, and we'll presume that continued throughout his life. Uh, he was, at the age of 12, sent to a Catholic school, um, so probably also was really passionate about pink, if Beth is anything to go by. Um, his cavern accent and book teeth made him stand out quite a lot, so he's not exactly the best looker. Uh, he tried to modify his accent and instead developed as a stutter, but he didn't say motherfucker, uh, as far as I know. Um, his best friend was a chap called Arch. Bishop Charles McQuaid when he was young. Now, admittedly, he was an archbishop at that point. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if you know anything about Irish 20th century history, but not exactly the best person to have on your uh, contact list. Uh, he joined the army. Uh, he started with the Northumberland Fusiliers, uh, where he gained a problematic nickname, which I'm not going to say on podcast. Uh, what I will say is that the origin of the nickname is not the derogatory term. Uh, it, it was in relation to the antelope that was the regiment's mascot. But either way, I still don't want to go there. Uh, he fought at Ypres and then he fucked around in Italy for a while, hung out with Hemingway, um, had a reasonable career in World War I. Uh, they moved back to Ireland and heroically looked the other way when the IRA were trying to hide guns from the Black and Tans. So he's obviously a champion. Um, and in the interwar years, he did something really interesting. 
he actually read books. He tried to understand modern warfare, uh, particularly uh, mobilized warfare. So he was kind of very much of the same school of thought as people like Guderian, um, thinking that wars in the future are going to be mobile and that armies needed to adapt and adapt quickly. Uh, he read a lot, kept up to date with strategy, and was pretty hated for this. He was kind of booed when he gave these presentations about what he predicted war would be like. Um, his kind of big claim to fame came in the desert, um, serving with people like Auchinleg and Montgomery. And he was heavily involved in a lot of the kind of grand strategy in that theatre. Uh, depending on who you ask, he was involved in the planning of Operation Compass. He was central in the initial defence of the first battle of El Alamein, where he stopped Rommel. And his tactics then inspired Monty's tactics at the second battle of Alamein. Unfortunately, he had this incredible ability to piss off his commanding officers. Um, so he was moved around despite his success in the desert. Uh, he had particular agreements with some chap called Penny, but that's a stupid name, not like Dorman, wildly inferior. Uh, so we'll presume that Penny was a dickhead. Um, Monty called him a menace, but Monty was also a tool. So again, we'll presume that Dorman Smith was completely in the right. Um, there's a quote from a historian, which I've blatantly nicked, um, even for a British army which advanced beyond recognition between 39 and 44, Dorman Smith was too clever, and he compounded this sin of being intolerant of those with lesser intellects, and more so of letting it show. It was his misfortune to be associated with the failure in the Western Desert, but his antagonism of the military establishment meant he would probably never have advanced the heights which his intellectual gifts would have otherwise qualified him. So, War ends, looking for something to do. The army's been incredibly cruel to him. So what does he do? He moves back to Ireland and joins the IRA. Um, joining the right side of history. Uh, he's basically Benedict Arnold, but loyal to the correct cause. Um, he then kind of operated with the IRA for a little while. Um, died in the 1970s, I think. And yeah, just led a really, really interesting career. Clearly a very intelligent person, maybe not the most tolerant of idiocy or those around him, but uh, an interesting chap. Well, yeah, that, that was as good as I could do with Dorman. Or I could have gone for a door. Apparently that's acceptable in this stupid podcast. <laughs> or, or people, security people outside the Yeah, or I could, yeah, yeah, the bouncer outside a club. Yeah. One of those guys who stands outside of Claridge's. Not tonight. Not tonight. Not tonight. <laughs> Holmes. I can't help thinking that if you'd gone for Andrew the Fool, then it might have been a bit more slapstick. Andrew the Fool is actually really boring. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he basically, was it just really stupid? He declares himself to be the Fool of God, has a vision about the siege of Constantinople, which apparently comes true, and then everyone loses their shit and makes him a saint. <laughs> that would have been a really Fair short yeah. <laughs> also, also, I wondered where you were going. I mean, I think you clarified it at the start when you were saying when he was a young boy, he used to hang around with an archbishop. I thought, oh, well, he <laughs> um, does seem quite interesting. There's a First World War bit for me. There's a First World War Italy bit for Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I knew my audience. And then he, he did seem to fall out with everyone else in the Second World War, though. It's, and you're adamant that none of this was his fault. Definitely not. Based entirely on the fact that I share half a second name, he was clearly the victim. Yeah, I think I think that's which is why he joined the IRA, like all the other victims. 
Johnny, have you got anything? Um, I've just been reading about him. I'm going to read more about him. He sounds he's quite an intriguing chap. He'd have been um, 23rd division, um, so he'd have been bouncing around on the Asiago Plateau with Austrians running at him, which would be quite intriguing. So, um, no, I, I, intriguing chap. And uh, well, I'm forgetting someone A, historical, B, interesting, C, military, etc., etc. Good stuff. Ticking all the boxes. Dorman's <laughs> going to win. Suck it, Pink. Really, really disappointed that your Secret Santa didn't arrive. Shall we mime you opening it and I'll tell you what it is just so everyone can laugh? I think I've still got the pinwheel of doom from last year with all the hell jelly beans. I can eat those. Oh, yeah. Eat some of those. Uh, but like, right. Pretend you've got a box in front of you and you're opening it. Like, la, 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 la. Oh, yeah. I can do still that. Got the let, let me get my acting skills babies. off. Yeah, yeah. He's going to method act opening this. Okay. So we will get some mileage out of Dorman eating some of the rank jelly bean pinwheel thing. Oh, my God. What could it be? Could it oh, be? Wow. As he opens it's, the box. <laughs> it's, it's a spinner that determines whether or not you eat a disgusting flavour of jelly bean or a pleasant one. Um, since I'm not arsed to do the spinner, I can either try watermelon or cabbage, birthday cake or soap, bubblegum or mouthwash, cola or dog food, mm. strawberry or chilli, or tropical, that's vague, or curry. Dog food, Any... dog food. Dog All food. Right. <laughs> All right, let's try the uh, the dog food. How many, two? Dog food and with... mouthwash. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So this can uh, this will either um, be bubble gum and cola, which and will be vile. And then cola very swiftly after. The magic, right. it's the magic of Christmas in a podcast. Hmm. <laughs> All right, that's bubble gum. That's pleasant. No mm. for the rest of us. Tastes, and that's dog food. That's unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> also unpleasant. Dorman, have you got your phone on you? Yeah. I've just WhatsApp you a photo from your secret Santa of what has yet. Sorry, oh, that's fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, get I, a mouthwash. Are these still in oh. date? And I don't know if you alarm you any further, but they're still in date if you had them last Christmas. It's sugar, sugar, <laughs> sugar doesn't go off. <laughs> you can tell he works in the 18th century, doesn't yeah. he? Oh, yeah. No, they, they actually expire on the 21st of this month. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm good. Talking <laughs> health and safety. Make sure you eat the rest of them. It's not one. Yeah, I'm trying to. There's no way of determining which is good and which is terrible. Remember, oh, dog food was so bad, though. Remember, that many people worse off than you who would love to have those. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i hated that thing when parents when you sat down and you're like i don't want to eat this food and they're like there's always more people who'd want to have this food it's like well fucking give it to them then <laughs> and Gorman has just seen a photo of his secret santa gifts and says <laughs> because those of you in the room he has a penis candle it's not a dildo jesus christ man it's a candle we well, have got, you got one for 10 euro. <laughs> no wonder it's trapped in customs. They saw that and went, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> now you know what customs want. I mean, technically, anything can be a dildo. So, I mean, it's wax. Is it hard wax? I have questions about I don't this. have it, Heather. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Does it have the English flag on it? This could know an awful lot about dildos. This could, be an, uh, this could actually be some sort of very specific votive thing. 
Oh god, the I love that Heather so had an open bad. in her mouth for an hour and you show her a dildo and all of a sudden she was Oh the cabbage is long. When when we get it, can can you tell us what it smells like? Because I feel like I feel like there's gonna be a unique smell. <laughs> it was like kids oh, silver hand. Is it like the vagina candle? I was gonna say, yeah. That's how my baby smells. Mother of God, let's make on. I got a cola one. I'm going to end on that. That was oh, retreat, good. retreat, Alex. Move, move. Retreat, retreat like get, the get away from Gwyneth okay. Paltrow's fanny candle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jesus Christ. Also, in that in that photo, the wick, the, the white wick was placed weirdly well. Anyway, let's move on. Let's do Chris. Next. <laughs> Speaking okay, of, oh, the WhatsApp. Of, oh, God. Oh, I just got like a, a kickback from the dog food. Oh, awesome. I have Haynes manuals. So, with this mark, in case I need to maintain my warship, and even better, the USS Enterprise. That's awesome. Thank you, Secret Santa. That's my nerdy, that's my nerdy Christmas sorted. That's I, got a, I got a waxy car. <laughs> I'm actually really pleased with those. Thank you. Uh, for the for the first time in my life, I'm going to apologise. Uh, actually, this is this is quite a long one. Are you going to apologise? Because Kit pointed out, why are you dressed as a West German border guard tonight? Because this shirt is warm and it's freezing in my flat. Okay. <laughs> Kit points out a lot of things and interrupts people when they're doing their pitches and then leaves when they're done. <laughs> Not that you're bitter. <laughs> Go on, Chris. Uh, okay. So I settled down to write this on Monday night, hoping to find some greatness in the Sam's gene pool. Surely there must be a Sam there who... <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> Surely there was, must have been a Sam's who has aspired to greatness or found an island somewhere, gone to sea and defeated the French or had his, had his horse shot out from under him in a long-forgotten battle somewhere. I mean... I know that in my family there isn't isn't the case beyond my previously mentioned Uncle Eric and his sons Jeremy, one of his sons Jeremy, who is a BAFTA award-winning theatre director and film score composer, apparently. Um, beyond them, I found a Sam's who did one of the worst things humanly possible to other human beings. They, they invented the veggie burger. And of course, there's Michael Sam's, the serial killer. So I thought there would be, uh, I'd try my luck with Chris or Christopher, and immediately my mind turned back to the 1990s sitcom Game On, where one of the characters said, quote, unquote, Chris is the sort of name a turd might have if turds had names. Steve McQueen is Chris the Cooler King in The Grey Escape. It just doesn't work, which is a quote my sister used to like to throw at me all the time and still does. Nonetheless, I started my research at the great lexicon of knowledge that is Wikipedia and started looking for great Chris's or Christopher's. Apparently, Christopher has been in the top 20 um, first names in the UK from the 1940s until 1995, when it dropped out of the top 20 and is now out of the top 100. About the same time, I became a teenager and started meeting people. Uh, the obvious choice is, a celebrated, is celebrated in holiday form. Places have been named after him, and many people celebrate it, but it's also brought economic ruin, misery, and depression in its wake. But I thought Chris Mass might be through my luck. The other one is Christopher Columbus, who is similar, but with genocide. Um, there is, of course, the, as previously mentioned, greatest actor in the history, uh, the Dark Lord and evil wizard Christopher Lee, uh, the author and editor of Christopher Tolkien, and then 
I started thinking about Hollywood. So we've got Chris Pine. I mean, he played Captain Kirk and Spider-Man. Other superheroes, Chris Hemsworth and Evans, Christopher Reed, Lloyd and Eccleston. But who to pick? So I settled on an obvious choice, a sailor, an admiral, a man whose name will echo through history of the Royal Navy for all time. And his name is Christopher Craddock. Sorry, Holmes. He was born the fourth son of uh, Georgina and another Christopher Craddock in York during 1862, joined the Royal Navy in 1875. I won't bore you too much about his naval career details, um, but he was in Cyprus when Britain occupied it. He was also assigned to the Naval Brigade during the Maddest War, published his first book, Sporting Notes from the East. He would go on to serve in the Red Sea again, in the Naval Brigade at the Sukan and in the uh, Sudan. For the capture of Tokor, get, he gained the Ottoman Order of Medici, 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 fourth class. He rescued a Brazilian warship's crew, when, which was wrecked. And he would uh, also serve aboard the Royal Yacht, Victoria and Albert, and published his second book, Wrinkles in Seamanship. Uh, during the Boxer Rebellion, which had nothing to do with pants, I've been told, uh, he, began, he served in the Naval Brigade again. Uh, he led a force of British, German and Japanese soldiers when they took the Taku forts a British and Italian force to capture Tienstein and then relieve Seymour's sailor troops uh, besieged at the Piang, Piang Arsenal. Uh, he would later get the Prussian Order of the Crown with swords and later a companion of the Order of the Bath. In 1903, he was made a member of the Royal Victorian Order. And in 1904, he saved the Thai Prince, oh bloody hell, Vadhaja uh, Chalamba, yeah, him, from drowning <laughs> and then go on to be the naval attaché to Edward VII and briefly George V. And he was promoted to Rear Admiral in 1910. But his moment of real greatness comes during the First World War. So as the war commenced, he was in command of the North American station of ships, responsible for policing all the shipping lanes from Halifax to Cape Horn, which he, um, which he had, uh, which had two German warships, shed loads of liners and colliers and merchant traffic with access to coal and supplies. He quickly blocks off New York, which traps all the liners, which stops him becoming auxiliaries. He then goes hunting for the Karlsruhe for three months and doesn't find it, but he does what he can. But I'm getting to the best part. While searching for the cruise, cruiser Dresden off uh, the islands of Cape Horn, Craddock receives news from London that on the 7th of October, a German naval squadron had crossed the Pacific and is likely to reach the South American waters imminently and that he should take his squadron and head around Horn to meet them. Churchill suggests the battleship Canopus should be the citadel in which Craddock should build his force around. Craddock looked at his force, the light cruiser Glasgow was a good fast ship, the Monmouth and Good Hope, which had good guns but were old and slow, and the casement guns were fairly unusable in bad weather because they were too close to the waterline and the waves got in the way, an armed liner, the Otranto, and Canopus, which was a pre-dreadnought battleship. Her engines were no, weren't any good, and her energy, engineer reported that she had a top speed of 12 knots. Craddock was not happy with this. So he did what very few people do. He stood up to Churchill and he said, I want a better ship. Get me HMS Defence. And he protested. He fought Churchill with a greater knowledge of his situation, and but he lost. But he would still have a great impact on British um, Royal Navy history. He wrote a letter to a colleague in London and told, everyone, told the governor of the Falklands to post it should he die and never come back. He then buried his medals in the governor's garden and sailed around Cape Horn in search of the Germans, leaving Canopus to repair, to repair and then escort his supply ships. I have to don the hat at this point. On the 1st of November 1914, Craddock became the first British admiral to face a German admiral in a fleet engagement. 
and the first fleet engagement since the Napoleonic War, when he engaged the German formation of the Chilean coast in true Nelsonic fashion, he closed the distance and formed a firing line, but being seaward, his ships were all being silhouetted by the setting sun, whilst the Germans faded against the coastline. His crews were mostly reservists, and so gunnery was lacking, as well as the heavy seas, which blocked off the lower guns on Good Hope and Monmouth. He then tried to bear in close as possible, and his flagship um, took extremely heavy fire, and it, with the front gun turret exploding, the ship then rolled over and sank, taking all the crew with it, Craddock and his dog. The Battle of Coronel um, would also take the entire crew of Monmouth, and the other two ships, with the other two ships managing to withdraw. Coronel became the first victory of the German Navy at sea, the first battle a Royal Navy fleet had lost in over a century, and von Spee's textbook victory of the East Asian Squadron. Why is Craddock the greatest Chris or Christopher in history? Well, he probably isn't. I just found, uh, found an excuse to mention von Spee and warships for 10 to 15 minutes. And for a better Chris or Christopher, I implore you to vote for Kit. Well done, Chris. Uh, not least for actually bringing some history to the history podcast. Uh, Dyer. Bravo, great story. And um, just, just, just reading the bio, it says Craddock never married, but kept a dog which accompanied him at sea. Yeah, knowing, knowing look to camera. <laughs> yeah, <that's not>. oh, <laughs> everything is legal at sea. <laughs> um, intriguing. I do, it's it's kind of it's 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 ballsy to go with someone who managed to conjure up the first naval defeat in a century. Or, or fair, fair play, fair play for that. It's 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 going for the underdog. Um, intriguing chap. I should uh, I should be intrigued to read more about him. Uh, I'm going to go to Holmes first because he's going to crap on this because he doesn't do boats, and then we'll get some feedback from like Kate because there is another boaty person in the room, and it'll make you feel better. Um, although okay. she's looking at an empty glass like it's the most hideous thing she's ever seen. Holmes. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a it's a bold choice because I I feel. The same way about Navy, even in the first war that I feel about Welsh Rugby Union internationals from the 50s, to be honest. So, um, I mean, I wondered where he was going because he was actually quite disinterested. He couldn't wait to get, get to the First World War boaty bit. He was skipping over the first bit and doing it in quite a disinterested way, to be honest. Um, but at least on the other hand, you know, I thought at one point he might have gone for, uh, he might have gone with the argument that actually um, the Hebrew translation of Chris is Princess Victoria Louise. <laughs> <laughs> It would not have been a shock, would it? It wouldn't have been a shock. I thought everybody knew that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I didn't mention it. We, we didn't refer to uh, to History Hack Jesus, who is our resident um, Hebrew expert tonight, anyway. Uh, we, should, we should probably let someone who knows what they're talking about take this on a bit. I, I could, but there's no, there's no sails and twigs, and she's just emptied the rum bottle. So, Kate? <laughs> it's port. Okay. Oh, what? Wanna, Excellent! Yes. You at least want to do some solidarity for the boaty historian. Uh, not twigs and ropes. So, <laughs> well done, Chris. Well done. If it's not fire, did it really happen? <laughs> no, no, if you want to read more about Craddock, I can strongly suggest German Raiders of the First World War by Chris Sams, available for your Christmas presents. <laughs> well, that particular <laughs> wrote that. <laughs> Yeah, Chris, uh, this whole thing has just been a bit of a circle jerk for you, then. Well, <laughs> to no, it, your old book. It's been PR, which is genius when you think about it. Um, another money. Other people in here that have written books that didn't think to do that ever. Uh, right, okay. 
Who, who, who raise your hand if you haven't been yet. Girlies, what Charlie hasn't been yet. No, right, okay. Uh, okay, let's do Clive, and then we'll have the battle of the girly swats to end. And let Kate drink a bit more port before she does hers. <laughs> I'm very excited to be opening this. What I find funny Hello. is Clive has previously set the bar so smutty that I quite fear for what is in his envelope. Oh, it's a book about the Paris-Roubaix cyclists, which is a really sweet thing to both William Fogginham as well, who's a jolly good writer. Thank you. That was really thoughtful and nice. I like that. And it's not at all smutty. That is such a wholesome present. I'm so relieved. That's, yeah. Well, Clive, did you anonymously send Marcus some sort of sex item as well again this year? No, I I, I should have done. I just just out of the blue, <laughs> it would have been worthwhile, but I didn't sadly. That he most definitely walks his dog with. Anyway, turning now to my pitch, and I'm afraid I've rather drawn a short straw here. If we were talking about the shittiest namesake, I'd be well in Robert Clive. No one here is called Adolf or Paul or Stalin or Cecil. And so Clive would be straight in, bang, back of the net. But Clive doesn't really get much traction when looking for the best namesake. Clive Bowen, Clive James, Clive Walker. Okay, until he transferred to Sunderland. No, most Clives are middle-class English people born in the 1950s. As a name, it is thankfully dying out. So my surname might produce a better result. My wife suggested Jack O'Connell because she thinks he's gorgeous, but I wasn't sure that was a proper criteria. I was left with only one clear choice, the man after whom so many streets and bridges and islands are named, and indeed who begets both Greater O'Connell Street and Lesser O'Connell Street in Kinsale. Yes, the liberator himself, Daniel O'Connell. If it weren't for him, I might be called Clive Sackville. Or isn't that how these things work? I should say that, unlike Mademoiselle Churchill and her illustrious namesake, I have no claim to kinship with the man. That said, when I was 12 years old and preparing for a scholarship examination, we were advised to gen up on a couple of historic figures. I picked Daniel O'Connell as one of mine. The exam came when we were asked to recount our family history. Not having much of a family history, I threw in lots about O'Connell. I won an exhibition. And then I, then I met the Jesuit priest who had marked the paper, who was himself a direct descendant of O'Connell. He discovered, luckily too late, that I was a fraud. My sister Sarah was at boarding school with another direct descendant, Susanna O'Connell. Two S. O'Connells caused confusion at times. At a party in Ireland, someone tried to introduce the two girls do you know Susanna? He inquired. Yes, my sister responded. She's probably wearing my knickers. Anyway, enough of my association with the great man. Daniel O'Connell was a curious and divisive character and was in his lifetime ultimately a failure. But he sowed the seeds of Irish independence. Born to a landed and wealth... I'm looking very carefully at Dorman as I'm doing this, just to kind of get the hint of disapproval. Wait till the accents come. Born to a landed and wealthy, if not aristocratic, Kerry family in 1775, O'Connell's mother tongue was Gaelic. He was educated in northern France. As a kid, I remember being told he attended the English college in Saint-Omer, 
which had until the suppression of the Jesuits and its removal to Bruges and then Liège been the location of my old school. Wikipedia, however, suggests that he attended the predecessor of Downside and the Jesuit College in Dowie. It matters not. He received an English Catholic education until the French Revolution forced a return to England. He then attended Lincoln's Inn and became a lawyer and returned to Ireland to practice. His return to Ireland coincided with further brutal repression of Irish Catholics and the incorporation of Ireland into the United Kingdom. He became a prominent advocate for the repeal of the Act of Union. He married his third cousin and they had eight children. O'Connell was frequently unfaithful. He fought a duel and killed a man and paid his widow a pension for some 30 years. But what did he actually achieve? Well, he was the first Catholic to be elected to Parliament since 1688, and he forced Wellington to change the oath of allegiance to allow him to take his seat, a seat he won, but was obliged to fight again before taking it in order to allow the passage of the Catholic Relief Act. He was a moderate who rejected violence, but offered only unspecified goals. As such, he attracted not only opposition to the English ascendancy, but also many Irish people. He also pissed off the Chartists, who dismissed him as an opportunist. That said, he was popular. He addressed a crowd estimated by the rather hostile Times of London to be one million strong at the Hill of Tara in 1843. He was also very strong in his opposition to slavery, particularly that in America. He dies, the famine was getting underway, while on a pilgrimage to Rome, his heart is buried in Rome and his body in Dublin. So what's all the fuss about? He was the undoubted leader of the Irish people for three decades. He gave birth to the movement towards self-determination and independence. He established the Irish and the British Parliament as a body that could hold the balance to power and despite being a small group, exert pressure beyond their number. number. A model upon which the Labour Party before universal enfranchisement was founded and which the Scots and Acts look to emulate today. A writer, an orator, he was also good with the quip. Famously, nah, I'm not going to do an Irish accent, I couldn't. Remember, he was educated in English schools, so he probably spoke a bit of Cockney. The poor old Duke of Wellington, what shall I say of him? To be sure he was born in Ireland, but being all born in a stable does not make a man a horse. And one for Dorman. The domination of England is the sole blighting curse of this country. It is the incubus that sits on our energies, stops the pulsation of a nation's heart and leads to Ireland, not gay vitality, but horrid, the convulsions of a troubled dream. To his credit, he also pissed off Disraeli, who was an odious man, but who said of him, this man O'Connell is the hard instrument of the papacy. As such, his mission is to destroy your Protestant society, and as such, he is more a more terrible enemy to England than Napoleon with all his inspiration. Your empire and your liberties are in more danger at this moment than when the army of invasion was encamped at Beloit. O'Connell is celebrated in Ireland and his reputation has lasted well after his death. Indeed, 76 years after he died, shortly after independence and the ensuing civil war, Sackville Street in Dublin, the site of the post office at the centre of the 16 uprising was renamed O'Connell Street. So, all in all, certainly the most prominent namesake that I have, Daniel O'Connell. That is, of course, if one ignores O'Connell's spiny rat, a rodent native to Colombia.
<laughs> got a massive applause from Dorman there. Dorman, you want to comment? Yeah, and no, he's it's like nailed it. Uh, really, really interesting character. Um, as he's could be a bit divisive whether or not he was a failure as referenced or not. Uh, but absolutely a bit harsh. A bit harsh. Yeah, I think Catholic <laughs> emancipation is kind of the big deal. Mm. Uh, I like voting. <laughs> it's it's pretty sweet. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah. And his house is a whopper. Uh, even in Kerry country. Definitely. Uh, well worth a visit. Definite legend territory. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got a fairy fort in his garden, like a mad lad. The, fa- the family alternates between Daniel, John, Morgan and Morris down through the generations. I've met one of them at one stage. I think it was at the same party my sister was at with Susanna. And did he look like an absolute legend as well? He didn't really, no. He just looked like a kind of middle-aged man in those days. He's probably very old now or dead. He was incognito then. Didn't want to draw too much attention. I haven't got any questions, really. It was good. It was an impressive pitch. One note I did make that... Clive said that he was a, a moderate who rejected violence. And he said that within about 40 seconds of telling us how he killed a man in a duel, which I thought was an interesting juxtaposition. He rejected political violence. <laughs> because there was so this big Clive movement in Ireland it, to agitate so violently. I read, read it down verbatim. <laughs> Look, he was a hypocrite. He, he, he got a bit about, and then he gave his wife a pension. See, it's all there. <laughs> he, he he was rather kind of cornered into the duel by this other guy who was military himself. He was a Royal Marine, but it turned out not it wasn't such a good shot as O'Connell because he missed and O'Connell didn't. Johnny, and then pres- presumably at that time, like death by duel was okay, wasn't it? As long as the dueling formalities were observed. No, it was still illegal. A very impressive pitch. Um, it kind of fitted the brief in the sense it's 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 a namesake that actually did something, a historical figure. Bit of shagging, bit of violence. All good, you know. I, I'm, I'm very impressed. Well done, Clive. Oh, thank you, Johnny. Sorry, no personal war mention on that. You get brownie points for making Disraeli a Cockney, though, because I've just had to read about 400 pages of that wanker for something I'm doing. <laughs> Not amusing. So the fact that you punked him gets... Uh, my- <laughs> Well, right, okay, we are down to two badass kickoffs, girly swaps now. Not that I'm building you up or anything. Jameson, you go first. Okay. Present, I right? Yeah. I do, yeah. It's massive, though. That's is it a boat? Is, is it, it a boat? boat? It would be, if it is an entire boat that springs out of there, like, in her face, that would be amusing. It's it's obviously a captain's hatch, circa 1805. Well, my dad has just bought me. <laughs> I jokingly said that I want to wear a bicorn to graduation, so he's ordered me a bicorn for graduation. Oh, excellent. Alex has seen a photo of it. Excellent. <laughs> there is a hat. You can't see it. There is a hat. You've got to pin it up with the buttons. So for those who didn't know, Kate's Secret Santa sent her stuff to me and I posted it on. So, And I had oh, to undo oh, the studs to get it in the thing. So, Right, hang on. I'm gonna. This isn't a very good video for you guys because you can't see anything. But I'm poppering the poppers, and then you so, get the. Oh my god! It's a we're pop- always not doing studs to fit it in, Alex. <laughs> it's a pop hat. It, 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 it is a cocked hat. <laughs> it is. 
Kate has a pirate hat. And something else. I don't know what's in here. This is very pretty. I can put the ribbon on the pirate hat. Or pirate wood. If you're, ex- if you're expecting my like famous name thing to be naval, it's not. So that's going to be disappointing. Not for Holmes. He doesn't give a shit about naval stuff. So <laughs> you've oh, just fucked your chances of winning. Substantially. <laughs> Especially now he knows you're into Star Wars. Does that mean I I'm going to look? my head very well. Oh my God, alcohol. So there we are. Pester's run and a captain's hat. Good I stuff. can live my best pirate life. <laughs> right <laughs> now, a, you do your pitch. Got to get a whistle <laughs> and piper aboard now. <laughs> so where I, is my bosun's whistle i have one. Oh, it's a mm, i don't know where my bosun's call is but it's around um it would probably deafen everybody <laughs> quite noisy um so i was a bit stuck because all of the famous kates are actually catherine's um and all the famous kates that i could think of were modern and the only one i would have chosen would have been kate Dady because actually she's a legend um, so I decided to go for my middle name instead, which is Eleanor. And there was only really one choice. Well, actually, there are multiple choices, but I went with Eleanor of Aquitaine purely because if we're talking about the most awesome people with that name, I think she wins it. So she was one of the most powerful women in the 12th century. She was well educated. She could read. She was versed in literature and philosophy and languages. And she controlled this massive estate. She was the only woman to have ever won the crown, worn the crowns of England and France. And she gave birth to one of our most famous kings, Richard the Lionheart. She commanded armies, went on crusades, was held prisoner for 16 years and then ruled England, which is pretty cool. Um, so, I mean, if we're talking about girl power, she embodies it. Um, she's one of the most wealthy women in Europe. When her father died, she became Duchess of Aquitaine. Um, as soon as her father died... Um, her marriage was arranged, arranged by the King of France, Louis VI, to his son, also named Louis, which is a common theme in France. Uh, so when he died, Louis became Louis VII, and she was crowned Queen of France on Christmas Day. So there we are, we've even got a Christmas Christmas theme. Uh, Louis went on to the Holy Land on the Second Crusade, about 10 years after they got married, and Eleanor persuaded him to let her and her ladies go with them. So she took up the cross as Duchess of Aquitaine, so she didn't go as King of France. She led her own knights which is pretty cool. And the other noble women who joined her were actually wives of other crusaders. They all travelled to Constantinople, Jerusalem. Uh, there were all these rumours of infidelity between her and her uncle Raymond, excellent name, uh, Prince of Antioch, not like the holy hand grenades from Monty Python. And this was partly due to the fact that he absolutely showered her with favour, but also because she supported his plans for attacking Aleppo rather than Jerusalem. So Louis was a bit pissed off at this point, I think we can say. Um he was obviously shown to be a pretty weak and ineffective leader and was sent packing after the siege of Damascus. But Eleanor became known for her strength and insights during the crusade. Uh, unfortunately, in the timely tradition of kings being unhappy with having daughters, they had two, which caused a little bit of tension. And their marriage was dissolved three years after they got back to France. A few years later, Geoffrey of Anjou tried to kidnap her because obviously if you were forcibly married, the kidnapper could take your land. But she escaped she then did the medieval right swipe and sent an envoy to Geoffrey's older brother, Henry, who was a better prospect, demanding that he married her. Um, the truth of that is debated, but Henry and Eleanor were married eight weeks later, after eight weeks, sorry, after Louis's marriage was annulled. Henry, of course, invaded England. King Stephen I was forced to 
signed the Treaty of Winchester, making Henry his successor, and then died, making Henry King of England. And they gave him eight children, five of which were sons. Sorry, sorry, uh, Louis, you missed out there. <clears throat> but her relationship was pretty rubbish with him. And she decided to go back to Aquitaine with two of their sons, Richard and Geoffrey. Um, she had a great time in Aquitaine. She encouraged the arts. She enjoyed the troubadours. The weather and the food was good. She gained a reputation throughout Europe as the court of love due to judgments of her, her daughters and the ladies in her court. The songs and the poetry composed there continued through generations and became part of European culture. And she was basically living the life uh, and queen of her domain, she thought, until she discovered that Henry had actually mortgaged Aquitaine to pay for his wars. And she was raging. In the meantime, Henry had, of course, decided to follow the French tradition of coronate, like crowning his successor. So his son, also Henry, was crowned and called Henry the Young King so that they were differentiated. And obviously this was controversial because the kings of England were crowned by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Becket. And young Henry was crowned by the Archbishop of York, who Becket excommunicated along with all the other clergy. And we all know what happened to Becket later that year. <laughs> anyway, um, Eleanor's eldest surviving son, Henry, travelled to Aquitaine. His brothers, Richard and Geoffrey, joined in a plot to remove Henry. Eleanor supported the revolt. We don't really know what the reasons for that were, but I think we can make a lot of assumptions, let's be honest. <laughs> the revolt unfortunately failed. Henry captured Eleanor and then imprisoned her for 16 years at various locations, including Old Serum, just down the road from me, which is just outside Salisbury. Uh, but when Richard succeeded to the throne as Richard I, Richard the Lionheart, Richard Coeur de Lyon, one of his first acts was to release her and grant her powers over English political affairs, whilst he decided to sod off on crusade. So Richard was actually remembered as one of our greatest kings, but in his 10-year reign spent six months in England, whilst Eleanor took over everything. She had influence over the affairs of England, as well <laughs> as later the conduct of Prince John, her other son, famous for being a whingy lion in Disney's Robin Hood. Uh, and of course, she played a key role in raising the ransom demanded from England for the capture of Richard, um, the release of Richard after he was captured, sorry. So although her official role in English politics ended when Richard died, she continued to hold considerable influence. And when she retired to the Abbey of Fontevraud, she remained closely involved in the affairs of Aquitaine and maintained her role as one of the most influential and revered people in medieval Europe. She outlived two husbands eight out of 10 of her children, and she had 51 grandchildren <laughs> whose descendants ruled Europe for centuries. And as the nuns of Fontevraud wrote in their necrology, she was a queen who surpassed almost all the queens of the world. Boom. That's an excellent pitch. Also, great. can you imagine having to buy 51 fucking selection boxes at Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> that would suck, wouldn't it? Oh, like, how did we even learn all the names? But I know anything about Eleanor of Aquitaine. It was a selective guest, uh, gift list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, Holmes. Yeah, no, that was a, a, a strong pitch. She was quite old as well, wasn't she? 82 or something. 82, she died. Yeah. Which is quite a long life. Um, and in, the po interesting point you made about Richard the Lionheart, which I don't think people know, because that's where the three lions come from as well, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I think Dieppe Montoya. Oh, is that him as well? He was also a lion in Disney Robin Hood, which is in fact the best Disney yes, film. It is the best mm. Disney film. Any questions, Dyer, about Eleanor of Aquitaine? Um, <laughs> in, in, in an impressive innings without question. Um, 
knocking out several hundred kids and grandkids that end up ruling Europe for some considerable time is quite impressive as well. Uh, good pitch, Kate. Thank you very much. I think my favourite thing that I forgot to mention is that there is a full rumour that she poisoned Henry's mistress, uh, well, which is quite dramatic, but it is just a rumour, but it is cool nonetheless. It's probably true. They were Plantagenets, weren't they? Because it's basically real life Game of Thrones, so <laughs> minus the dragons. Possibly the tits. No, I think it's <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they have those in those days. Well, there probably weren't many tits because she referred to her husband as a monk and he took a vow of celibacy on the Crusades, so... Uh, he had enough air, sorry. Yeah, I mean, he said that, didn't he? But... <laughs> Maybe he had a candle. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Dorman. Uh... Sorry, I have not taken a vow of celibacy. I just need to jump in and clarify. <laughs> I like the I way have, that yeah. you jumped in to clarify that you're not taking a vow of celibacy and not to clarify that you won't be rogering yourself with the candle when it arrives. I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> where the candle will end up. Right, Charlie, finish us off. Right, I love that you leave it to the end. Thank you for that. I appreciate I it. Glugging the wine, so I'm like, yeah. But I've been, I've been glugging the wine. I also have a present to open. And being, being a girly swat, I've half opened it, but not opened it all the way, so that it's quicker. Girly swat, girly swat, girly swat, girly swat. Not one book, it's two books. Oh my God. Thank you, Secret Santa. Secret Santa says, happy Yuletide, gorgeous, from one grown-up goth to another, your fellow wicker. Oh, oh. oh. oh okay, they both say the same thing. Oh, interesting, okay, fabulous witchy notebook, and Malcolm Gaskill's new book, which we love, we love Malcolm, The Ruin of Witches. <gasps> Thank you very much. Oh, I'm going to enjoy that. Love anything a bit witchy at the moment. Obsession. You have you noticed? Have yeah. you know? Thank you, Secret Santa. Love you. Um. So, I, I figured that I could push myself out of my comfort zone, but it's Christmas, and I don't want to. I've done quite enough of that this year, so I'm staying in my lane. <laughs> um. History's greatest to me. Look, I could have gone with. I mean, there's Charlotte Bronte. There's Queen Charlotte out of Bridgerton. Um. But I think history's greatest me was King Charles II. <laughs> pause. Pause for shocked gasp. <laughs> the it's funny to sing the horrible history song at this point. It's funny you say that. Oh, yes, can we sing it? Can we sing it? Can we sing it? No, look, listen. Look, stop it. Stop it right now. Whenever I mention this dude, the most frequent response I get is about the horrible history song. It's everyone's favourite, so right? The King of yeah. Bling. Yes, yeah, King going, of Bling. I'm oh, not hell. going Thank to you. sing it. I'm not <laughs> going to sing it because Holmes <laughs> is going to have to get me out of a copyright infringement again. Um, so instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fact check it line by line, starting at the beginning. His name is... His name is, his, his name is Charles II. Second. Accurate. <laughs> so it should be noted that this Charles Stuart did not automatically become the second on the death of his father, the first, the OG Charles Mark I. On the morning of the regicide, literally that morning, 
the parliament who passed the death sentence on their king realized that they've got a very big air-shaped problem waiting in the wings. We all know this now. We've all seen it. We've seen this in real time. What is the first thing that happens when a monarch dies? The king is dead. God save the king. They rushed an act through into law that dismantled the institution of monarchy so much so that there could be no new king proclaimed on the death of the guilty one. Scotland, however, did not get the memo. And they were that pissed off <laughs> that um, that would be an understatement to say they were pissed off, actually. They didn't sign off on any of this. They asked to speak to the manager immediately and proclaimed King Charles II king on the death of his father in 1649. A Scottish army would attempt to help Charles II regain his throne in 1651, but all of that hit the fan at the Battle of Worcester. See my previous pictures or buy me a drink to learn more. Hashtag war war. I love the people and the people love me so much that they restored the English monarchy accurate. And there is a very good argument to say that Charles II, being the man he was for all of his faults, made the restoration an attractive prospect on the collapse of the protectorate. He was an easy and charming negotiator, showing no signs of vindictiveness or absolutism. He was a very different man to his father and, as would become apparent later, his brother, James, Duke of York. In the Declaration of Breda, signed before his return to England from exile, Charles II promised to be fair. Past transgressions would be forgiven if a nice apology was received. Property would stay in current ownership because estates had changed hands several times since the outbreak of the Civil War, and life could just kind of move on. This was codified into law in the Act of Indemnity and Oblivion, which became known as Indemnity for his enemies and Oblivion for his friends, because Cavaliers kind of wanted their shit back. All were forgiven but the regicides, who were hung, drawn, and quartered, and all was settled. Except in Ireland. Ugh. I'm as guilty as any English historian of the time in kind of ignoring Ireland. It's complicated and so much work to understand and may I've already tried to be inclusive by learning about Scotland and that was hard enough and someone's going to ask me about Wales next. Turns out they did in 1660 try to revert ownership of property in Ireland. To see how well that turned out, see Ireland. I'm part Scottish, French, Italian, a little bit Dane, but 100% party animal. Champagne! Champagne. <laughs> Accurate. The great-grandson of Mary, Queen of Scots, and the grandson of Henri Cat, Charles II may have sensed in his Bourbon blood that it was better to be flexible than absolute. His mother was half Medici, born of that brilliant political dynasty, and his paternal grandmother was Anne of Denmark. I mean, I'm sure she was cool, but that's a really tough crowd to compete in. Spaniels I adored, named after me too. Like me, they were fun with a nutty hairdo. Accurate. King Charles Spaniels were and are still a thing. They're floofy. And the dogs. Right? Their floofy ears look like teeny tiny periwigs. The king was surrounded by them at all times, and they were as feral as they were pampered. Courtiers would frequently step in tiny dog poops around the palace where Charles was in residence. And there's a much quoted story where an ambassador was bitten and said, God bless your majesty, but God damn your dogs. I mentioned to Alex that I was planning to get a dog at some point in the future. She asked what kind. So stupid a question from so intelligent a woman. 
obviously a King Charles. Is today my birthday? I can't recall. Let's have a party anyway, because I love a masked ball. Today is not King Charles II's birthday. His birthday was the 29th of May, and he knew this very well. The official date of the restoration of the monarchy is given as the 29th of May, 1660, as this was the day that the king chose to enter London by grand procession, though the actual proclamation of Charles as King Charles II was given in Parliament on the 8th of May of that year. 29th of May was always observed as a day of celebration as the king's birthday and of the anniversary of his coming in. He knew when his birthday was, and he did love a mask for. All hail the king of bling, let's sing, bells ring, ding ding, I'm the king who brought back partying. Word. King Charles, my daddy, lost his throne and kings were banned. They chopped off his head and Ollie Cromwell ruled the land. Old Ollie wasn't jolly, he was glum and he was proud, would be miserable as sin, only sinning's not allowed. Okay, now this one's a matter of perspective. I say this is accurate, though this is the time of year when eminent historians such as the wonderful, if wrong, Miranda Malins and the lovely, though wrong, folks at the Cromwell Museum in Huntingdon and Oliver Cromwell's house in Ely start banging the Cromwell didn't ban Christmas drum. Miranda will also present evidence that shows that Cromwell was far from the dour presence that we're familiar with. He enjoyed music, dancing, art, parties, and living in a king in someone else's palace. He famously put a pie on someone's chair, much hilarity. He was probably no more the cartoon Puritan than Prince Rupert was the cartoon Cavalier, but amongst the various experimental administrations that Cromwell was a part of between 1649 and his death in 1658, was a parliament made up of religious extremists called the Parliament of Saints. To see what it's like to be governed by religious extremists, see Afghanistan. Fun. When Ollie died, the people said, Charlie, me hearty, get rid of his dull laws, come back, we'd rather party. This action's what they called the monarchy restoration, which naturally was followed by a huge celebration. Accurate. John Evelyn writes of fountains running with wine and says, such a restoration was never seen in the mention of any history, ancient or modern, since the return of the Babylonian captivity, nor so joyful a day so bright ever seen in this nation. The King of England say, no sin to sing, okay, or anything, all say, I'm the king who brought back partying. Word. Great London fire was a whopper. In my reign, London City came a cropper. So this king did what was right and proper, fought the fire, proved I'm more than a bopper, I'm a fire stopper. Accurate. Charles II did fight the Great Fire of London. He's taken a bit of historical flack for leaving the city during the Great Plague in the year before, but post-COVID, I think we can very much forgive him for that. You can't blitz spirit out a pandemic camp. He was no coward. He just didn't take on unwinnable battles. He'd learned that the hard way in Worcester. In a triumph of good optics, Charles II and his, his heir, the wildly unpopular James, Duke of York, were seen in the city of London, periwigs cast aside, fighting the flames and leading the firefighting efforts. While James directed the pulling down of buildings in the fire's path, 
Charles spoke to displaced people and he promised to rebuild their homes and businesses. He gave them each a coin to make his promise and food and provisions as well. For a modern example of this, I recall Prince William going down to Grenfell in the days following that appalling tragedy. He broke royal protocol by hugging a woman whose husband was still missing. The government were refusing to engage at that time and no minister dared show their face before actual people who had lost their homes, their neighbors, their friends and their family, but Wills showed up, so did the queen. Yes, he was still a prince. Yes, he lived in a palace, but he was there to offer words of comfort. Married Catherine Braganza. She was a love to so true. There would never be another, well, maybe one or two. Lucy Walter, Nell Gwynne, Maud Davis, Barbara Villiers. You think that's bad, but her name's not as silly as Hortense Mancini. Accurate. And kudos for mentioning some of these amazing women by name. Charles II liked the ladies. He was neither the first nor the last monarch put it about, but I think there is something to be said about the women he was associated with. Witty, difficult, interesting women. When Lucy Walter became a liability in those hazy early days of his exile, Charles took their son from her, in an, arguably for, for his own safety. She then died penniless and consumptive on the streets of Paris, like some heroine in a bad opera. Never again did he risk that happening. Every single one of his mistresses was kept in some comfort, even after their affair ended. He was good to them. He was a loving and indulgent father to his illegitimate children. He even stayed married to Catherine of Braganza when their marriage failed to produce a legitimate heir. He should have divorced her, really, practically speaking, but he refused to do so. He said that any fault in their marriage was his, and he refused to shame her with a divorce, despite the protestations of his Protestant parliament. She was a Catholic. Divorce was not an option. As a king, I must admit, I broke the wedding rules. But who cares when I brought back crown jewels? Word. It's nice to talk about a king who could shag around, have multiple interesting relationships with numerous interesting women, and not feel the need to murder any of them in cold blood. I reinstated Christmas, make-up sports, and even plays. I was the merry monarch. They were good old days. Accurate, if you were rich. Look, I've got little interest in looking into the lower social classes in history because history is my escape from the horrors of the real world. When I look at the news, all I want to do is run away into a world of plague and fires and war in Europe. Uh, the theatre. Let's have the theatre. Charles II did reopen the theatres and permit women to act on the stage for the first time. He invented the actress. He was fond of them. He established two rival theatre companies to produce rival productions in rival theatres, each pushing the other to create more elaborate productions. John Dryden was appointed as the first poet laureate to write by royal command. His words used not only to entertain, but to fight the king's corner when Whig pamphleteers criticised him. Parliament may have used the newly freed press, but Charles II used art and entertainment to pick at those who opposed him. He was clever and he was funny. When said and done, King Charles did run England for fun. A lasting criticism of King Charles II, which dates from his reign, is that Charles didn't do much at all but rinse the country for all it was worth to keep his court in entertainments 
and to keep his growing number of mistresses in finery, in second homes when he can no longer keep in the palace, and to keep his children in titles, marriages, etc., etc. But actually, his household wasn't that excessive compared to his predecessors. What he had was a parliament changed by our little Republican experiment, who voted to protect their own prerogatives before restoring the royal ones in 1660. Charles II was the first monarch unable to levy taxes. If he needed money, he had to go through a vote in Parliament, hence the scrutiny of every single penny. He rinsed the French for subsidies. Again, that wasn't unusual and only for things that he probably would have done anyway. And he worked with a Parliament that continued to oppose him, to hold his desire for religious toleration to ransom, to press his divorce for his divorce and for the exclusion of his brother from the succession. Yet he stayed pretty cool about the whole thing. He never flipped his wit. He was never vindictive nor cruel, when history may have forgiven him for being either, really. Sure, he dissolved his parliament in 1681 and never called another one, but he died less than four years later, so we kind of have to give him a little bit of a break there. He was the greatest me that ever lived, and believe me, I have spent 40 years being me, and 22 of them with Charles II, and I know who is more interesting. He never bores me, constantly confounds any intelligent definition of his reign and his personality. And the more I learn about him, the more bonkers I become. I've not wasted half my life and can conclude that the horrible history song is accurate. I was the king loved by anyone. My song is done. Party anyone? I think you've just trashed Beth the most comprehensive uh, pitch at that point. <laughs> Holmes, is there anything left you don't know about Charles II? No, no. I mean, would it be churlish to point out that lyrics used outside of a song are also protected by copyright? But <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a, I think it was a genuine criticism and review, and we can credit the horrible history writers, and I think we're okay now. Then. Yeah, so long as you uh, comment on the, the the art as soon as you say it, you're fine. It's excellent art. It's, it's accurate. Brilliant. I've, I've it's the most it. fantastic thing ever. Okay. Dyer? Top quality pitch, I say. Um, learned an awful lot more about it than I knew before. Um, primarily because I had a history teacher who was just dreadful with that period in time. So oh, it's going to be more than two years of sitting in Mr. Follett's class because he was shit. So thank you very much. He's <laughs> here so tonight. You're sitting across <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, you two uh, need to debate who the winner is between you whilst oh, we go round the room and find out who everyone else would have voted for. So I'm just going to go in order of everybody on my screen. So, Kate Spooner. Um, so, I, Eleanor of Aquitaine gets my vote every day of the week. She's a Plantagenet. I love Plantagenets. I love that whole era of history fascinating and she was an absolute badass so yeah good call um Dorman five Clive yeah not hard not hard to figure out where you were gonna go uh Kate Jameson <laughs> I'm the year I'm Lil Jackson <laughs> Joyce so from a an emotional point of view I would absolutely 100% go with pink <laughs> but from a rational point of view I'm, a, I'm afraid I would have to go with Eleanor 
When has ration ever been used on Dan Pub? <laughs> I, I, exactly, I don't right know. That's that booth. <laughs> Who'd have thought that you just needed to get someone drunk enough and we would have some rationality on Down the Pub? <laughs> in the uh, in the in the archive and museum world, we are we are encouraged to think through uh, emotion and rationality. Hence, why I've, I've given both answers. But <laughs> which answer do I have to give for the for the vote? Um, who who's going to cause you more drama if you don't? <laughs> for me. Um, well, in my life, Chris Sams, who I have not voted for, he will give me the most. <laughs> he will cover me. He will not buy me pints. He will not buy me burgers. He will send me abusive messages. I, I, I'm sorry, but I, 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 I like more I like than Chris his share of the fried chicken. <laughs> Okay, Chris, you're still my best friend. <laughs> Elena. A good enough response. I'm going to go for Dorman's weird IRA dude. You're, you're going for the most depressing pitch after yours, is what you're saying. Uh, totally. I mean, come on, depressing people got to stick together, right? Okay, Even though he didn't it. vote for me. <laughs> Daniel Cartwell's pretty tragic. It's true. History hack Jesus. Oh, um, Eleanor of Aquitaine. James? There's only one motherfucking winner in this motherfucking pub, and it is SLJ, Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) Heather? It's between Dorman and Clive. Going for the Irish history. Charlie? Oh, I'm I'm going with my heart. It's pink. Every time. She's awesome. Beth? Um, I, I am 50-50 split between Samuel L. Jackson because it was just awesome and because my teenager heart wanted to recite the whole song along with Charlie, it's got to be Charlie as well. So Charlie or Sam. So, okay, so having demanded that Sam pick one of you, you've then done <laughs> split your vote down the middle as well. So I'm going to pick, we're, pick we're one. Basically, pick your we're both from the UK. We yeah. vote for each other. <laughs> yeah. Eurovision. Euro- Eurovision style, absolutely. This is like Eurovision and poor Chris is yeah. Germany with nil points. Chris, <laughs> you've still got your points out. So where are they going? <laughs> we, we know that down the pub ruling is where I usually go. Yeah, because if you don't do it, forget it. Your life will be a living hell. And also, you want her to entertain your children next time she comes over. So I think that Chris is going to vote with Alina. I would go for Eleanor of Aquitaine. And Clive? I was going to go with Samuel F. Jackson, but Sam's just told me I've got to be rational, so I'm going with Heather. Excellent. (laughs) Right, Okay. Let's get the result. Right. The jury is the jury is, has has returned. Um, obviously, after a highly rigorous questioning of uh, of all the candidates, all very high quality, of course, um, we've come to a decision. Um, we're going to do a joint third place just because it's Christmas and we make the rules. So, ha ha. Uh, Alina and Kate in joint third place. Which Kate? in second place? Which? There's two. There's two. Kate, it's not Kate. It's the the spoon came forth, yeah. I think it's obvious. I don't don't think we need clarification. I think it's obvious. (laughs) Yes, thank you. 
Uh, in second place, dramatic pause, Charlie. Yay! It's just his first place, and, and this week, um, mainly because it was shut him up for a few months, and secondly, as an older chap in a cold snap, you know, we might not see him again. It's uh, Clive <laughs> oh, this week. Oh my God, well done, Clive. <laughs> That's the shadiest win ever. <laughs> in case in case he freezes to death in this economic climate, which frankly is richer than the rest of us put together, so it's not likely to happen. <laughs> Anyone can afford to turn their radiator on this winter, it's Clive. Uh, as, Chris, as Chris sits there chewing on his fingernails in a sleeping bag. Uh, well done, Clive. Congratulations. Oh, okay. thank you. We will be back at some point with another one of these where we can get enough of us together. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 